Welcome back, everyone. I'm Lady. And I'm Alana. And this is Spookery Part 2. Welcome back, everyone, to part two of this mini-series. I, I don't have a better word for it. Uh, a little, like, a series within a series, Bonnie and Clyde. Uh, if you haven't listened to part one, why are you here? Yeah, you can't, you can't this just will not make <laughs> This will not make a lot of sense if you haven't listened to part one, so highly recommend. Go, it's the previous episode. Go, go listen to that. Um, but if you're joining me from part one, welcome. We're about to get into the next leg of this darn diddly journey. Um, That's a word for it. <laughs> it sure is. This crime spree. <laughs> yes, this I, this buddy buddy hill like shenanigans, but also like kidnapping, but also it's it's not it's not what you think. It's not a traditional like it's a crime spree. It's like no, they were kind of bumbling idiots with guns, but they were to a degree kind of successful. So yeah, do with that what you will. Um. We'll do a quick recap, and then I think we'll get straight into it, because we got a lot to talk about, and I'm keen to get into it. Yes, let's get it started. All right, so uh, in episode one, we were introduced to the lovely Bonnie and Clyde. They're kind of their backgrounds, you know, what was going on at the time, how they met. Um, it also went through Clyde's first couple of incarcerations and Bonnie's fascination with the life of the crime. Um Kind of, it talked about sort of the abuses that uh, Clyde went through that really be, like turned him into what he what he was. Um, it was their first couple of sprees with our boys Fulton and Ray, and then it was a lot of bumbles because they didn't have the tools for the job or they were inexperienced. And I think yeah, the important thing to remember is that they were really really young, and they didn't know what they were doing. You know, they were trying to follow in the footsteps of the big outlaws at the time, but they, they didn't have any connections. They didn't have, you know, money to bribe cops. They didn't have, you know, the, the branches that other places did. So it kind of really was with them just kind of figuring out what to do and what worked and what didn't. Trial and error, baby. Sure is. Uh, <laughs> we talked a lot about their, their successes, a little bit of their failures in their early days, and we ended with them adopting their lovely 16-year-old intern for lack of a better word, child. Yeah. Their latest member of the team, WD. And on that March 22nd, Clyde's older brother, Buck, the one who went to prison, well, he's now out and he's looking for Clyde. So we're going to pick up right where we left off. My first question, I need yes. to, is, is, is he, he got shot in both legs. He sure did. Wh- what? And he walked he it off. Wh- he just walked it off. He's just like, go on without me. But then he's just walking it off. Yeah. He got patched up in the, the, the hospital in the prison. So I mean, he was also in prison for like, I'm going to say like four years. He was there for a long time. Okay. And for a, a brief stint of it, he was in East Ham with Clyde. They were oh. both in the same prison. But That's terrible. Yeah. But I think they had different sentences. Clyde was on hard labor and I don't think Buck was. I think Buck was just on like detention. It makes sense that he wasn't on hard labor with getting shot in the legs twice. Yeah, I mean, they do call it bloody ham for a reason. Yep. Yeah, and, and Buck, I, from what I can see of, like, what goes on with Buck later, being shot in the leg didn't really seem to have any impact on him. He, it was a, a brief entry, but he recovered tremendously. And it okay. never, like, halted him from any of his other, like, es- like escapades. It never... 
yeah, it never it never really came back. So I'm gonna assume he you know, he might have had like sore knees, but for the most part, he, he just kind of he walked it off. Wow. Okay. That's yeah. that's some tough shit, dude. Yeah. All right. But well, that answered yeah. my question. There you go. But there you go. Buck is out of prison. Uh, he's been pardoned, and he's like, "Hey, Ma, where's Clive?" And she's like, "I think he's on vacation." Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sounds All legit. Right. So, March 31st, Bonnie and Clyde were looking for a place to call home base, because they were going on vacation. They were going to take a quick break. They were going to kind of, like, regroup. They have this new kid, and Clyde's just gotten the word that Buck's out of prison, and he's like, that's great. You know what? This is a great way for me and Buck to kind of, like, like reconnect, like, catch up, you know, like, last time I saw him, he got shot in the legs, like, I feel kind of bad. Uh, so, like, yeah, let's let's all go on a vacation together. You know, Buck can bring his wife. I'll bring my Bonnie. We have a child now. Let's just let's just go on vacation. It'll be great. Yeah, the big so old they, happy family, right? Yeah, it really was. It was two couples and a child. And I'm sure that I'm sure WD was just like, "Hey, woo!" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So, they pretty much settled in an apartment located at three three four seven and a half Oak Ridge Drive in Joplin, Missouri. So they're okay. in Missouri now, and they're on vacation. And a half. Yes. Three, three, four, seven, and a half. <laughs> that, well, I, I, you know. Sure. Yeah. Missouri, right in. Is that still a thing? <laughs> Do you have halves? Um, yeah. And, and pretty much it was it was perfect. It was like a, it had like a two gar- a garage system. I think they rented another garage from a, a, a nearby neighbor. And yeah, they just kind of, they moved in and they were like, we're going to spend a little bit of time here, regroup, count our guns, count our money. You know, reconnect with with, with uh, Buck and his wife Blanche. It'll be great. Blanche even brought her dog. Wow! Even the dog got to yeah. come. A uh, Pomeranian named Snowball. I'm in love. Oh, <laughs> I hope I hope nothing bad happens to Snowball. Uh, I think Snowball gets off pretty easy compared to the rest of the game. Good. Okay. <laughs> Snowball did nothing wrong. Yeah. So Buck's now out of prison, and he hears that Clyde's like, "Hey, well, he's about to go on vacation to Missouri." And Buck's like, "Yeah, sure." And I guess Buck felt bad that he got his baby brother in the, into the life of crime. Mm. So when Buck and his wife Blanche, they went down to Joplin, they were actually there with the intention to convince Clyde to go straight. And they were like, wow. hey, you need to like knock this crime shit off and maybe like turn yourself in. Wow. Like it's, it's getting a bit hot. We're like, we're, we're small demeanor criminals. We're not big demeanor criminals. You've got two, like you got like three murder charges on you at this point. Like you need to like calm down, turn yourself in. Like that's, that's, that's not escalate this. Wow. And Clyde was like, um, well, see, I've got three murder charges on me, and they're going to put me in the electric chair if I turn myself in. Oh. So, not super keen on that. And Buck's like, yeah, it's not great. What you gonna do? What you gonna do? (laughs) So, yeah, so it sounds like this vacation was a lot of Buck being like, well, like, let's figure this out. Let's try and get you out of this life. And Clyde just going, yeah, but, like, it's really bad. I've killed a lot of people. I've ki- like, apparently pe- people think I've killed people I haven't killed. It's like a lot's happened. Yeah. Yeah. So all five of them were holed up in this apartment for two weeks. And okay. they, like you can take the criminal out of Texas, but you can't take the you know, you can't take the criminal out of the criminal. <laughs> oh, I thought you were gonna say take the Texas. You can't take the Texas out of the criminal. <laughs> no, you can't take you the sure criminal. Can't. So the, uh, pretty much while they were here for these two weeks, they were committing minor crimes. You know, a little bit of theft here, a little bit of theft here. Stealing this car. This is a nice car. I want this car. This is my car now. But apparently they also threw some pretty wild parties. 
In this little hotel room? In this tiny little apartment, and they were alcohol-fueled. Oh. During prohibition, mostly card games. They were, they were mostly card games between the five of them, but like, I, I mean, I, you and you and I game like we can get pretty loud. Like, yeah, you can. We get we get like you know, we get heated up, and this is an alcohol fueled card game, and they're a criminal family. Yeah, with money and guns. Mm-hmm. So got a little heated. Prohibition was kind of coming to an end around this point, but um. Missouri was also a little bit behind. They had legalized beer, but every other alcohol was like, don't do that. No. Okay. Only drink beer. And part of the issue was, how do you prove that someone's drinking beer? Yeah. If you see someone who's intoxicated, like, they can't prove that they were drinking beer, so then they would get like, like, hey, you're intoxicated and prohibition's still going on. They're like, well, I was drinking beer. And they're like, you can't prove that into jail with you. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was a bit of a, bit of a thing. Gray area. Uh, yeah. Also, during these two weeks, the gang had a little photo shoot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Your face was amazing. Just the, uh, huh. Huh. Um, a legal photo shoot? They had a legal photo shoot. Yeah, it was basically vacation pictures. Like, they kind of drove out of, of Joplin, and they took up, they did a bunch of poses in front of their cars, they were posing with their guns. There's a great, there's a great couple with, like, Bonnie and Clyde kind of, like, snuggling together. There's a really cool one of Bonnie, like, we just got her foot, like, up on the bumper of a car. She's got a shotgun in her hand and a cigar in her mouth. She looks like a badass. Like, it was a lot of, yeah, it's just a lot of, like, kind of goofy, like, photo shoot fun. It's just a lot of... Uh, yeah, like it was just them having fun. It pretty much was like we're on vacation. We have we have our stuff. We're we're like no one's coming after us. We're doing great. Yeah, yeah. So this photo shoot happened while they were in Joplin, Missouri. Wow. Are we gonna get to see this photo shoot? Uh, we will see some of the pictures because of what happens next. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, and I will post some of those pictures on our Instagram. Um, you can Google these pictures as well. They're like they're not hard to find, but just be careful googling pictures of Bonnie and Clyde because there are a lot of crime scene photos because they have killed people, and sometimes they come up. So if you don't want to look at crime scene photos and you're googling pictures of Bonnie and Clyde, just be careful that can happen. But I'll post a couple of these photo shoots on our Instagram so you can look at them safely. Nice. Yeah. So uh, also during this time, during these two, what happened in these two weeks? There are also reports that in his alcohol-induced stupor. Clyde fired his gun inside the house while cleaning it. Oh. And not just a hand pistol. This is one of the big boy guns. This is like the military grade gun that he's cleaning and it fires. Oops. Like that's going to scare some people. Like they're oh, like, yeah. Oh shit. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, just being a really considerate neighbor, I think. Well, after two weeks of just listening to your neighbors party, gamble, shoot guns, get into arguments, just, and maybe like just coming and going at weird hours of the night. Yeah. Because they're stealing cars. Yeah. Like, I'm pretty sure. And I'm sure they notice that too, pulling up in all sorts of different cars throughout the entire time. They're like, yeah, why do they have like six cars? But like, they're different all the time. Yeah. Like, yeah. So eventually one of their neighbors had enough. And they called the cops. Of course. Yeah. So Clyde Buck and WD were actually packing up on this day because they were planning on leaving that day. That was the last day of their vacation. And somebody called the cops on them. Wow. Yeah. And the cops, you know, they get this call and they're like, oh shit, it's bootleggers. Like, like, that's all it could be. Like, it's just a bunch of people running alcohol and, you know, being idiots and drinking their supply easy win 
yeah. not realizing that this was the Barrow Gang, who, you know, have a bunch of murder charges on them at this point. Yeah, Clyde, WD, and Buck, they were all kind of packing up. They were loading their cars in the garage, and they were actually in the middle of closing the garage doors when the cops rolled up. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So the police had wow. assembled a small five-man team to investigate this possible bootlegging activity. And they were like, it's going to be easy. Like, we just need a couple of handguns and just, you know, kind of sniff around the place, find the alcohol, book the, the, the suckers who are being dumb. Easy win. Uh, not so easy win. So, yeah. Instead of that, they found the entire-ass Barrow Gang. Jeez. So, Constable John Wes Harriman and Detective Harry McGinnis were the poor souls that were sent in first. Oh gosh! Oh no! Yeah, I don't. I don't think they fared well. No, they they really did not. Clyde and W.D. were attempting to shut the door in a hurry because they're like, "Oh shit, the cops are here!" But Harriman jumped out of the police vehicle to stop them. He literally just like he he threw himself at this garage door to stop it from closing. Oh well. He was shot with a shotgun at close range and was fatally wounded. Oh my gosh. Man, they really did just panic shoot. They really did. They were just like, oh shit, we don't, because they don't know why these cops are coming around. Yeah. They're just seeing these cops and they're like, oh, the, the, the jig is up. They're after us. They found us. These cops are just looking for bootleggers. Yeah. So, Officer McGinnis sees this and he's like, oh shit. He, he then exits the vehicle to prevent the garage door from closing and was also shot down, same as Harriman. But he was able to return fire. So he wasn't, okay. he wasn't, he wasn't fatally wounded. He was injured, but he was still able to uh, return fire. Yeah. McGinnis was then shot by the high-powered automatic rifles. Oh, God. Which nearly severed his arm. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure at that close range, like, that's just... The the force has just Mm got to be unreal. Like, these are, like, things that are designed to, like, pierce armor. Like, these are no-joke sort of weapons. That's crazy. So Bonnie hears the shots coming from the garage. She's inside the uh, the apartment packing up. Yeah. She hears the shots and she's like, ah, oh, the chick is up. She grabs a gun and joins the firefight. Oh my gosh. Bonnie's like full blown bad at this point. She's yeah. ready. She's, she's protecting her family. This is her family now. Yeah. So she joins the fire. She's firing at the remaining three officers and they're, they start ducking for cover. They can't even get their boys who are on the ground bleeding out. Wow. All right, so Clyde and Buck clear the way. So they, they manage to drag the bodies of these, these fatally wounded cops out of the way. Yeah. And, I, and uh, they pretty much, they load into the car, grab Bonnie, and Blanche, who was walking Snowball at the time, they just scoop her up off of the road and get in the car. Snowball was unfortunately left behind. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So well, Sno- Snowball was left behind in Joplin, but I'm sure I'm going to I'm going to hope and pray that Snowball was found by a loving family who took care of Snowball for the rest of his life. You know, any person that has ever found a Pomeranian has only loved it and cared for it. So I, I have to agree with that. It's just yeah. as an owner of one, it just it happens. Yeah. If, if my dog ran outside, someone would take him from me. They would steal him and never give him back. So I, I have to think this dog is living somewhere good. Yes, that dog, that dog lived its best life until the end of its days. And I yeah. that is that is what I choose to believe. A hundred percent. It's canon. So the surviving officers claim to have shot no more than 14 rounds. And I'm like, who's counting? <laughs> does, does it matter when the assailants are shooting at you and, 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 and like fatally wound? Your... Uh, you know, apparently it does. Uh, hey, we're counting. That's, that's what's important at this moment. Maybe. But uh, kudos to them. One did hit WD in the side. Oh. Yeah, he was, he oh, was shot. No. One hit Clyde 
in the shoulder. No. But was Why am I saying no? <laughs> yes, Clyde. I mean, yay. I don't know. I don't know how to feel. Anyway. <laughs> what did shoot? He got hit. But it was deflected off of his suit button. So the bullet didn't go in deep. It would have been a fatal shot, but his suit saved him. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Buck was also hit. What? But it was hit by shrapnel as it ricocheted off a wall. Okay. So all three boys were hit in that gunfight, and they all walked it off. That's nuts. Yeah. At the c- I am sad that WD got hit. Yeah. He, he, he's, he's, he's literally just the group intern. And he's like... Yeah, I know. He's like, go get the coffee. And he's like, sure thing. Oh, I've been shot in the ribs. Yeah, literally. <laughs> They're like, I'll just whack it off, tough guy. Yeah. I mean, like, look, Buck walked off two shots to the legs. You can walk that one off. He's like, yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Gosh. Okay. Yeah. So, at the conclusion of the gunfight, Harriman and McGinnis were both alive. But Harriman died en route to the hospital, and McGinnis died later at the hospital, same day. Okay. McGinnis had been serving for eight years, and Harriman had only been serving for four months as an officer. And this is a common trend. A lot of these, like, duos that go in, it's an older officer who's been on the force for a long time, and a younger one that, I guess, they're training, or, like, they're they're going through their operation. There's a lot of these ones who are just... Like they're, they have two months or they have like, you know, they're all, they've been there for like six months and they're with someone who's been there for six years, eight years, four years. So I guess it was kind of like, that was their only form of training is you just went out and you went with someone who was older and you just learned from them. Wow. Yeah. So. Some on the job training for sure. You know, I mean, and, and they've been promised. They don't, they don't, they're not supposed to be doing anything dangerous. Like, this is completely out of left field. You know, they're not supposed to be going up against these automatic rifles. They're supposed to be looking for bootleggers. And they that's not what they found today. The Barrow Gang fled real quick, and they left most of their personal belongings behind. Okay. So, this apartment that they were vacationing in, full of their stuff. So, they did a search of the apartment, and they found Buck's three-week-old parole papers, saying that he had just, just been pardoned from prison. Well... Buck and Blanche's marriage license. Yep. A very large arsenal of weapons. And a camera with several undeveloped rolls of film. Oh. From the photo shoot, which is why we have these pictures. Because they left them behind. Uh, so the undeveloped pictures were published in the Joplin Globe, which was the, that little, that town's like, I guess, local paper. Mm. And we, and we talked about what the photos are. It's mostly Bonnie and Clyde kind of snuggling together. Uh, there's a great one where, you know, Clyde's just looking at Bonnie, just like full of love, and she's pointing a gun at his chest. Oh. It's, yeah, it's kind, of, it's kind of cute in a very kind of weird way. Yeah. <laughs> um, lots of, of them just holding a variety of weapons. All of them standing in front of a couple of their stolen cars. Yeah, I will post a couple of them on Instagram so you can see. But this is like, they were all published in this local newspaper, and the people were like, whoa! Yeah. Them some sexy bank robbers. <laughs> no joke. They they released the. They had never had a picture of Bonnie and Clyde up until this point. The only picture they ever had of Clyde was his mugshot, and there were no pictures of Bonnie out there. Mm-hmm. And suddenly they had this like this vacation bundle of outlaws. Yeah. And the people were like, "Wow, they're hot, and they're young." They're getting to see glamour shots of these people. Yeah. Pretty much like they're young, and and they're and they're and they're in love, and they're sexy, and they're and they're. Absolutely, they're fucking. 
<laughs> they are. But remember, this is the 30s. This is like un. This is uncalled. Like people, did, like, you don't see this thing. You know, you know, the women are very like they're they're straight laced and you know they're very conservative. And the men are all like they're manly and they're they're all smoking. And suddenly there are these pictures of Bonnie. And she's got a cigar in her mouth. Yeah. And her leg is hiked up, and you could see her ankle. Yeah. And, and there's, there's yeah, and there, there's this Clyde. You know, he's got his hand in his pocket, looking at Bonnie while she's like, like got her pistols out, and it's like. People are like, whoa, who are these two? She's and a they're robbing banks. Mama. Yeah. Like, they're robbing, they're, they're so cool. And it was, yeah, it was this like, this weird like fantasy. They were like a perfect crime fantasy where they were young, they were, they were scandalous, they were sexy, and they were sticking it to the men and they were killing cops and they were, they were robbing banks and, and they were, they were showing the government what for, like they don't, they didn't like the way that it was and they're, and they're just going to do it their way. And it was like, people loved them. People, wow. were, people were rooting for them. That's crazy they were, how some pictures can sway some public opinions, you know? Like you said, it's a picture's worth some, a thousand words. It is. And I, and I think even today, you know, we'll have that. If you're just reading an article and it's like, this person did this and this person did this, you're like, well, okay. But yeah. then if there's like, if you can see this person and they're they're done in this kind of like, this fun light, you kind of feel like you, you start to like sympathize with them in a way. Mm-hmm. And that's really what happened here. So sadly, Bonnie and Clyde are celebrities. And so, you know, they they had, you know, this, these these fans, but they also suddenly the cops knew what they looked like because mm. these pictures spread like wildfire. It started in Joplin, but that started spreading. That went through Missouri. That went back to Texas. That went to Oklahoma. People were looking for Bonnie and Clyde, this beautiful couple who were in love. Yeah. And yeah. So because of their newfound fame, uh, really struggled to keep their actions quiet. <laughs> That's the consequence of being a celebrity is like suddenly people are looking at you. Yeah. You walk out looking dapperly dressed like that and people are like, mm-hmm. oh, there he is. So, you know, they were used to kind of like they were staying at, staying at hotels, eating at nice restaurants. And suddenly they were being turned away because the restaurants and hotels recognized them. And they were like, we don't want no trouble. Mm-hmm. Like, I have nothing against you, but I can't invite, you know, your sort of violence here. Yeah. So they were being turned away. Basically, the only like guaranteed housing they would have is they would knock on random people's doors going, hey, we're Bonnie and Clyde. Do you like us? Can we stay here? Wow. Oh, my gosh. And people would be like, yeah, I do like you. You absolutely can't stay here. Wow. And then, yeah, they, but that was a thing. It was just like, people were like, yeah, like you're, 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 I love what you're doing. Like, you're sticking it to the man. And they were just like, yeah. Uh, totally. You got a spare bedroom? Yeah, you got some sandwich? Like, <laughs> yeah, can we, can we stay here? Wow. Yeah. And so, but that I'm sure also became a little crowded because people, you know, these people who were their fans, you know, like, especially when you're starstruck, you just feel like you have to gravitate to the people that you admire. And sometimes, especially when they're not used to that sort of attention, I'm sure they kind of shrunk away from it a little bit. Yeah. So this also meant that they resorted to camping a lot. So they were out in the wilderness. They were bathing in streams. They were like, they were sleeping under the stars. You know, I guess they were like, they would steal a car, drive into the desert, sleep in the car for a little bit, and then they would just be dirty. No, they were washing their clothes in rivers. It was all very. It was. It was hard life. Yeah, they didn't it have, started like, to get hard. It sounded like. Yeah, like it was already hard before, and suddenly they've lost the comfort of hotels and restaurants. They don't have the convenience of just town hopping. They have to be careful where in town they go because people will suddenly recognize them yeah. because their pictures got out. Yeah, and I'm sure that really took a toll on their their behavior, not like to each other as well. Like they really started going at each other. And this is actually kind of like where all the most, a lot of their infighting kind of started when life took that hard turn, especially for like Blanche and Buck, who weren't supposed to be here. They were supposed to go back to West Dallas, go back to mom and just start stealing chickens again. Yeah. And suddenly they're in the Barrow gang. Like 
Blanche was like, I, I didn't want to be here. I'm only here because my husband's here. Yeah. WD was essentially kidnapped. And Bonnie's like, I didn't sign up to be a camper. Yeah. So, I'm sure life got real hard. Not the life they wanted. No, life got real hard. So, April 27, 1933, a man named H. Dillard Darby, who was a 30-year-old mortician, oh. was about minding his own business. As one is not to do, especially when you're a 30-year-old mortician. <laughs> he had recently purchased a brand new Ford V8 automobile. Oh, and no. he was, you know, he was feeling rather proud of himself. He's like, I'm doing good. The business is good, which is kind of weird, they say, for a mortician. Yeah. But he was like, he decided to do that. I'm going to treat myself to a good lunch in like the, the opening canteen area in the boarding house that he lived in Ruston, Louisiana. Unfortunately, the Barrow Gang were also in Ruston, Louisiana. Oh, no. And as we all know, they have a thing about cars, specifically fast stolen cars. Yes, they do. Yeah. And the gang had just gone from three to five members. And five people piled into these, you know, these old timey cars. It's uncomfortable. Like yeah. you can fit them all, but like, like, especially when they're fighting, I'm sure they just wanted some space. Mm-hmm. So they, uh, so they decided, you know what? Let's get a second car. Let's start caravanning. Well, we'll have our current stolen V8, and we'll just get another one. Yeah, and then we'll idea. just have a, we'll have a grand old time. Yeah. And they saw Darby's brand new car, and they were like, "Ooh, that's nice. Like that one." So they decided to steal it right in front of him. That's a good. That's a bold move, Cotton. Yeah, he was having lunch, you know, in this this open air kind of like cante- cafeteria area, and there's just these five people just rock up and just start stealing his car. And he's like, "Wait a minute." <laughs> Wait a hot second! I'm sure that's one of those things where it like takes your mind like a minute to like register what's happening. You're like, are are they stealing my car? Yeah, they're stealing my my car. Like, yeah. wow! And then you're just like standing there, like, do I just like how long do you let that go on before you like intervene? Like, what are you even supposed to do? Yeah, and they're accomplished car thieves at this time, so like it would have been a super quick turnaround. By the time you realize what was happening, they were in the car and they were driving away. And he's like, oh fuck, oh yeah, no, they yeah. just stole my car. Um, they ha- that was pretty much what he did. So you know what he decided to do? Uh, he pursued. That's not a good idea. He doesn't have a car, though, so he pursued on foot. Just running. Stop! <laughs> yeah, pretty much. He started chasing them on foot. And a fellow boarder, Sophia Stone, who'd also been having lunch at the time, got in her car. And Darby essentially was like, can I borrow your car? I need to, like, that's my car. Let, let's go get it. And she was like, yeah, okay, I guess. Oh, my God. So sure. Sophia, Sophia Stone and Darby are the, they're in this car. They're chasing after his stolen car and it was really a classy old tab of car chase wow yeah and he's like it's shaking his fist out the window the whole time hey you guys stop and they're like no just go away pretty much but you've, you've nailed it pretty much what was happening and I and it's probably like Darby most likely had no idea who these people are because if he knew it was the Barrow Gang he'd probably be like you know what I'm good yeah like Sorry, I, I never liked that car anyway. Have a nice day. Like, I'll I'm just not. <laughs> I'll file my traveler's insurance claim and Yeah, it's fine. like, I'll just report stolen by Barrow Gang and they'll give me a full <laughs> refund. Like, exactly. <laughs> there's nothing I could do about that. But he didn't know it was a Barrow Gang and he was like, you know what? That's my car. Yeah, not I'm today, you punk kids. And from, so, what I can understand, it was just WD in the stolen car. Oh, okay. So, WD is in the stolen car and I guess he's following traffic rules because he stopped at a stoplight. Okay, and I'm like, sure. If you've just stolen a car, <laughs> and if you're, and if you're hypothetically, I guess he didn't know he was being chased. But yeah, he just stopped at a stoplight, 
and Darby and Stone rolled in next to him at this stoplight, and they were like, what the fuck? That's my car. Oh, and he's he was probably like, oh, yeah, my bad, and then just drives yeah. away? Well, I mean, like, Darby, like, so Darby starts threatening WD, and they basically get into a classic street fist fight, but... Darby failed to realize that there was a car behind his stolen car, full of the rest of the Barrow Gang. So there's oh, four no. members of the Barrow Gang just watching Darby threaten WD in the, uh, driving the stolen car, and they're just like, that's kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> just sitting there laughing at WD getting his ass kicked in the middle of the street. Pretty, pretty much, because they're like, you're gonna fuck with the Barrow Gang? And Darby's just like, I don't know who you are, but you got my car and I want it back. <laughs> oh my god. So, full-on physical alteration, but uh, just broke out. Darby's fucking fighting Clyde, he's fighting WD, he's fighting Buck, and apparently right after, they all got into a very nice chat. And I'm like, sure. <laughs> Bonnie walks out and she's like, okay, guys, okay, guys, that's a like, good job. She's clapping for him. Yeah, uh, she's, she's, she's walking out like this theatrical flapper. She's like, you guys are doing me, a, you know, you just, you just made my day. Thanks yeah. so much. And oh. they were like, oh, sorry, Miss Bonnie. <laughs> Literally, like, that's all I imagine. It probably was Bonnie. Bonnie was definitely a, a diffuser because she was charming. She yeah. could, and she could. She just had that power. Um, so anyway, they realized it was really five against two. So they pulled Darby and Stone into their old car, and they were now captives of the Barrow Gang. Mm. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I can only imagine that Darby and Stone were very nervous when this happened because Buck, in the back seat of the car, was just like, "You know what would be easy if we just kill him?" Yeah. Like. We should just kill him. And uh, I'm sure Darby was like, I'm not I'm not feeling that idea. Let's 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 brainstorm. Let's, let's talk about this. Yeah, let's, let's, we've got, yeah. We got options, guys. Yeah, we've got time. We can talk <laughs> about this. <laughs> but it was actually Bonnie who was like, guys, there's no point in killing these two. They're just losers. <laughs> and the gang were like, yeah. Yeah. Miss Bonnie, you know what's up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Bonnie also liked the irony that Darby was an undertaker. Oh, uh, my God. And so she's reported saying, I know we're going to get it sooner or later. I know you would really enjoy embalming us. Promise us you will. Oh, my God. Yeah, she went, she went to, to Darby and was like, hey, can you be our undertaker when we die? And Darby's like, what? Well, I'm sure that's the first time he's ever had anyone say that to him. Like, yeah, especially like, someone that just said he was going to kill you. <laughs> yeah. I was like, Darby was like, people don't usually make that kind of request. I'll see what I can do, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah. So... Stone and Darby were driven all the way to Waldo, Arkansas, and they were just dropped off on the side of the road. Okay. They were also paid $5 to help them get back home, because by the time that they were done driving, they were all really good friends. Oh my god. They had gone from fist fighting in the street to having a good time bonding over the fact that Darby was a mortician, and they just became friends as they were driving, and they barricaded, just like, alright, alright, see you later, Darby, it was really fun hanging out with you, we're keeping the car, though, and they're like, yeah, okay, I guess. I guess, there's like, nothing you can do about it anyway, so, bye. Yeah, alright, I kind of like those guys, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. But unfortunately, Darby's car wasn't lucky. That was wasn't so lucky. Didn't didn't have the the outstanding uh, conclusion that Darby was hoping for. So you remember Bonnie, Clyde, Buck, and Blanche, and the two hostages are in one car. WD is alone in the other car. And while the gang was having this kind of fist fight, and things got kind of confusing, and they kidnapped these two hostages, WD made a decision here to abandon the Barrow Gang. Oh. Yeah. He took off from Ruston, Louisiana, and he drove all the way back to Dallas, Texas. Oh, okay. He did not arrive in that car, though. 
Yeah, the car was later found with bullet holes at the bottom of a ravine at the edge of the Mississippi River. It was never explained how that happened. It was never explained how WD, like, what happened on that journey. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So WD went home. Back to Dallas, Texas. Okay. Uh, no worries, though. The gang wasn't worried because they figured if WD ever disappeared, he'd show up in Dallas sooner or later. He lived there. That was where his family was. That's where they got him. So it's like, you know, if he got separated, you know, whatever happened, he's in Dallas, Texas. We can just go and get him. So they send Blanche back to Dallas to go get him. (laughs) So Blanche goes goes to Dallas. She meets up with with WD's mom and uh, (laughs) Mrs. Barrow, Clyde and Buck's mom. And she's like, hey, where's WD? And they were like, um, so I don't think he wants to go back. (laughs) Yeah. They're just like, I don't I don't think he's he's into that thing. And Blanche was like, oh, no. Anyway. <laughs> Where's she at? <laughs> yeah, she's, she's just like, all right, cool, I tried. And she went she went back to the game, and she was like, yeah, he says no. And no. they were like, now hang on a hot minute. <laughs> so on June 8th, 1933, Clyde and Bonnie drive back to Dallas to have a talk with WD. Yeah. And I love WD's quote on this because I think it explains best what happens. <laughs> so... About two o'clock in the afternoon, I was walking along the road, intending to go down to the lake, and then go to the dance at the Five Point Dance Hall that night. Bonnie Parker and Clyde Barrow drove up, drove up from behind me and stopped. They were in a V8 coupe. They spoke to me and told me to get in the car, and I got in. They asked me if I wanted to go with them, and I told them I did not. And Clyde said, well, I was going anyway. And I did. That sums it up so well. And I feel like that really just, that's the epitome of his relationship with the gang, is that WD doesn't really have a, yeah, doesn't have an opinion. Yeah. The gang is just like, you're in the gang. And he's like, I guess I'm in the gang. (laughs) And they're like, you're coming with us. And he's like, I guess so. (laughs) And and he's he's 16. And these, all of them are are 20 or older. And I feel like... you know, he doesn't know what to say to them. He doesn't have he doesn't have the training to deal with people who are older than him. He's like he's idolized Bonnie and Clyde, and something they're like, okay, now do this. And he's like, wait. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah, that's he, a struggle. Yeah. I, I, I'm shocked that he was able to get away at all. But yeah. I'm <laughs> But I also think it's because they weren't worried. They knew where he was gonna go. Yeah. Like they knew because he's sixteen, he's not gonna he's not gonna run away from home. He's not gonna just break out and just start a new life. Yeah. He's gonna go home. After this, it's also reported that Clyde always wanted WD in the same car as him. So. I was just thinking that. I'm like, the only reason this happened was because he was on his own in the car. Like, mm-hmm. if he was never alone in the first place, it probably wouldn't have happened. So Clyde knew that. He's like, yeah, from this on, you're not, you're not getting alone time to think. Mm-hmm. You're, not, you're not here to think. Yep. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, yeah. And this, this is a good thing and a bad thing. It's kind of like... Clyde always wants to, to keep WD with him, but it also means that WD is always with Clyde, who has that, like, Sixth Sense police thing. Yeah. So I think it, it saved WD in a lot of situations. And I think, you know, how things turn out, I think WD really, he he, he got the best situation based on this, what, I, what you can see. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to start off this little thing there's a slight trigger warning here we are going to go into some graphic description of injury but it'll be quick and it's important to the story but if you don't want to listen to descriptions of injury skip ahead look at uh, i'll put it all down in the description below anyway so two days later june 10th 
Bonnie Clyde and WD are gunning down the freeway towards Wellington, Texas. They've just oh, picked no. up WD. They're going back to where uh, Buck and Blanche are, and they're just speeding. So now remember, at this time, you know we've got all of the you've got the prohibition, you've got depression, but the dust bowl is also happening at this time. So there were massive sandstorms going on in the desert. Pretty much no visibility, like at all. It's like the skies were basically black with dust. Yeah, that's terrifying. And they were driving at night. Oh, okay. Yeah. So this particular road was under construction. The air was thick. They were speeding. And Clyde didn't see the several warning signs telling them that they were running out of road. Oh. Yeah. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. So, last minute, Clyde suddenly sees that there's no bridge. They're gunning towards oh. a ravine, and there is no bridge. Holy shit. So Clyde swerves to the side of the road and flips the car into a ravine. It kind of plummets down, and it lands in a dry riverbed below, and there were casualties. Jesus. Two of the three passengers were knocked unconscious, just flat out, and all three were pinned under the flaming vehicle. The oh. Yeah. This car this car caught fire. Okay, so they're on a time crunch to get out, and we got two people unconscious. They got very, very lucky, all things considered, because the accident happened not far from a family farmhouse who saw it happen. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so the Pritchard family they were living in this farmhouse. They saw it happen. They basically assumed the worst. They're like, well, shit. We just we just witnessed a, a, a horrible accident. But they went to investigate anyway. They're yeah. like, well, you know, like, maybe we can see, like, if what we can do, you know, at least send them home to their families, let them know what happened. Yeah. They get to the crash site, and they're like, oh, shit, they're alive. All three passengers are alive. So, it didn't take long to pull Clyde and WD from the crash, but... Bonnie was a bit of a different story. Bonnie was very badly injured in this accident. Very badly. Um, She sustained third-degree burns on her right leg. Oh, my gosh. So this is where the the injury is coming in. So skip ahead. If you're you're feeling queasy, skip out now. We'll see you in a bit. So the cause of the fire in the car kind of varies from source to source. Some say it was a gasoline fire. They, they, you know, they hit, when they hit, the gasoline leaked out and it sparked. Yeah. And Bonnie was splashed with the gasoline and it ignited. Or she was splashed with battery acid and it burned away at her flesh. I was hoping you weren't going to say that, That's, but I had a feeling. Yeah. So, either way, the burns were so severe that it caused the muscles to contract. Mmm... WD quoted saying, she's been burned so bad that none of us thought she was going to live. The hat on her right leg was gone, from her hip down to her ankle. I could see bone in places. Oh my god. Yeah. Blanche later saw Bonnie and pretty much commented on the injuries later, and she was Mm -hmm. like, whoa. Uh, She she was quoted saying, Bonnie was a mass of burns and cuts on her, her face, right arm, and leg. Her chin was skinned to the bone. Her chest was caved in, though no bones were broken. She was screaming and moaning and appeared to be unconscious. All of us thought she was going to pass before daybreak. Jesus Christ. Yeah, so Bonnie has been brutalized by this car accident. Yeah. That's Mostly just, in the leg. That's so unfortunate. I yeah. mean, for anybody. That's terrible. And, I, and I'm sure Clyde, this haunted Clyde, I'm sure. You know, this is the love of his life. And, and you know, he, he, he did spe- it. Yeah, he's speeding on a, on a freeway at night in a dust storm. 
didn't see the signs, he got out pretty much okay. And then here's this, this, this the love of his life, and she's basically, she loses a leg. Yeah, she's on the brink of death, like you said, and that's like, God, God, yeah. what a what a tragedy. Yeah. So, the Pritchards carried unconscious Bonnie back to the farmhouse, and they gave her bare-bones medical attention. They were a farmhouse. They didn't have yeah. anything. Yeah. They, they had, like, a couple of bandages and a little bit of salve just to kind of, like, sterilize the wound. Yeah. Uh, a member of the farm family, Alonzo Cartwright, slipped away to call the police. It's, I'm not, it's not certain if he called the police because he knew they were the Barragan, or he was just like, I need help. Like, we need help. Yeah. And, like, that's all, like, call a doctor, call the police, call somebody. Needless to say, Clyde and WD were not happy when the police showed up. Yeah. Yeah, so Sheriff George Corey and Marshal Paul Hardy showed up, and they were immediately captured by Clyde and WD. Wow. Yeah. Alonzo's wife, Gladys, ended up shot by a shotgun when WD thought she was reaching for a gun. Oh, no. She wasn't. And she lived. She, she wasn't killed. Yeah. But she was, and she was holding a baby at the time when she was shot. Oh, my so, God. Yeah, she got a little bit of buckshot to her, but she, she lived, and the baby was fine, so. Wow. So, so the Clyde and WD shot the tires out of the Pritchard family car, loaded Bonnie into the police car, and they took off with their police hostages. They successfully met up with Blanche and Buck six miles west of Sayre, Oklahoma, and their now complete gang tied the hostages to a tree with handcuffs and barbed wire. Okay. Yeah. That's... They were like, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. That's an uncomfortable way to be left. Yeah, it, with barbed wire as well. Like, ooh. Yeah. yeah. So, were they found? They were found. They were okay. fine. They did not die. They were found I'm shortly like, that's after. That's a bad way to go. If that's no, they they did they did not die. They were just uncomfortable, and they were found with minor injuries later. Okay. Yeah. So then the gang fled to Fort Smith, Arkansas, and Bonnie did pull through. She 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 was okay. She did survive, but she was in absolutely no condition to travel. Yeah. Pretty much for the remainder of Bonnie's life, she was either carried by Clyde or she hopped around on her one good leg. She never really recovered from this, this this accident. Yeah, it sounds like she didn't get any medical attention. And and, and how could they? Because yeah. like if they if they take her to a hospital, they're famous now. So mm-hmm. they take her to a hospital, the doctor's gonna be like, oh shit, that's Bonnie. Mm-hmm. And then you know she's treated for her wounds, but then she spends her the rest of her life in jail, or she's put in the electric chair. Yeah. So it was kind of that. It was always it was always that gamble. It's like we could go and get help, but we could end up dead. Yeah, that's, it's, yeah, oh god, what a choice. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so, June 22nd, 1933, Police Marshal Henry Humphrey was ambushed on his night shift. He was doing his rounds outside the commercial bank in downtown Alma, Arkansas, where he was bound with wire and his flashlight and pistol were taken. His assailants then broke into the bank he was guarding, stole the safe. Okay. Uh, it wasn't revealed until much later that this was the Barrow Gang, and they had robbed this bank. Hmm. And Humphrey wasn't done with the Barrows. Hmm. The very next day, June 23rd, Humphrey got a call from his office alerting him that there had been an accident on the highway. He was given a license plate number and informed of another rob- like, another robbery- happening in Fort Smith involving a grocery store and a car theft. Okay. So Humphrey's friend and fellow officer, Deputy Sheriff Ansel Red Salyers, 
Salyers offered to go and investigate with him. He was like, yeah, like, you know, got a, got a bit of like a small robbery and a, and a car chase. Like, these are going to be, these are going to be hooligans. So en route to the report, they pass a slower moving blue Chevy truck heading south. Mm-hmm. And they're like, no, that's not the car we're looking for. Like, not a problem. Oh, gosh. Immediately after that, a Ford sedan also going south races past them. And they're like, that could be them. Yeah. That's a, that's, that looks pretty legit. They then hear a loud crash behind them as the two southbound cars collide. Oh. So they quickly turn the police car around and they go and investigate. They're like, what the fuck? Yeah. So they get closer and they look and they find out that the sedan, they look at the sedan and it's like, oh shit, that's the car. <laughs> that's the stolen yeah. car that we're looking for. And Buck and WD was in the car. And they were armed the officers decide to block the road. Yeah. Now, if you remember, Humphrey's gun has been stolen the night before by the Barrows. Oh, God. They have his gun. So he's he borrowed his brother-in-law's gun for that day at work. He was like, shit, they, the, the, the police station, they can't give me a gun just yet. I'll borrow my, uh, my brother-in-law's gun. They'll give me a new gun later. Mm-hmm. So right as Humphrey emerged from the door of his vehicle, Buck took aim and fired just a full buckshot into his chest. Humphrey fell back into a ditch. Officer Salyer is engaged in a two-minute gunfight with the Barrows. So Buck's gun either jammed or ran out of ammo, and Salyer's took the opportunity to find cover at a nearby house. So as Salyer's took cover, Buck and WD ran to the police car, took Humphrey's borrowed gun, and took off in the police car. Oh my god. Humphrey was taken to the hospital, but unfortunately on June 26, 1933, Marshall Humphrey passed away at age 51. He had been with the agency two months at the time of death. That's so tragic. And he had a wife and three kids. That's so sad. Yeah. It's... It, and, it, and it's off two days where he dealt with the Barrow gang. Yeah. In unrelated thefts. And it's just like, wow. What are the chances? The poor guy... And had his gun stolen twice. Mm-hmm. So. Wow. Well, yeah, well, needless well. To, yeah. Needless to say, the Barrow Gang hit the road again, despite Bonnie's critical condition. Now, standard practice was never stay in one place for more than one night. You know, they, they parked, they camped, they immediately moved on. Mm-hmm. Except for vacations. But Bonnie's condition forced the gang to take a moment and recoup. They needed to stop. Mm-hmm. Uh, Buck and WD were on fundraising duty while Clyde tended to Bonnie. So, July 18th, WD and Buck go on a crime rampage through Fort Dodge, Iowa. Okay. So they're hitting gas station after gas station to bankroll their next stop. Okay. So what they like to do is they like to kidnap the attendants as well as ransack vending machines, gumball machines, just for like loose change. And then they would just go hit the next one, pile a bunch of people on the car, go to the next one, pile even more people in the car. And then, like, when they were, like, further down the road, they would release them. What? So they just, like, are rounding up hostages as they go. Pretty and, much. Like, they f- get in, and they're like, hi, who are you? And they're like, oh, we're the hostages from the last, like, stop. Yeah, nice to meet you. Yeah, just get in. Just Exactly right. <laughs> that is exactly what is happening. And then they'll just release the older ones a little bit down the road. They'll grab the next one. They just hit gas station after gas station after gas station. I guess that's efficient. So. Yeah, I mean, nobody died. Yeah. And they were mostly hitting vending machines. So they got, like, a, whatever money was in the till, they hit the vending machines, they got a, a, a stockpile of coins. And then, yeah, they would just release the hostages just, like, a couple of miles down the road, so they just had to walk back. 
So it was like it was a bit of an inconvenience, yeah. and like they just had to go to their boss, going, "Hey, like we got hit." But yeah. you heard about them, Vlad and Clyde, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, it wasn't them, but it was for the guys that were with them. <laughs> I don't know where Buddy and Clyde are. They're, they're being in secret somewhere. Yeah. So the plan was to lay low in Kansas City, but the gang were like, ah, "I don't know if I agree with that." There had been something called the Kansas City Massacre recently in Kansas City, oh. where four officers were killed in a shootout at Union Station Railway Depot. Oh. It was an attempt to free a criminal named Frank Jilla Nash, hmm. who was under federal custody at the time. And it was an absolute bloodbath. It's worth another episode entirely. It's from what I, I started reading about it. I'm like, what, what was this? Yeah. And it was like, it was so in-depth and convoluted. And it was basically another heist episode. And I was like, all right, we'll save that for another time. Yeah. But yeah, four four officers ended up dead. It's the, it's the important pull away from it. That's sad. Since this massacre had happened a few weeks before the Barrow Gang wanted to move in, Buck was like, "Hey, the police presence is going to be really, really high. Like mm-hmm. they're on edge right now." Yeah, and he was right. They, uh, Kansas City was like heaving at this point. So Clyde is like, "Fine, we'll compromise." <laughs> so as they're driving through. Platt City. I'm going to say it's Platt City. Not Platt City. Platt City. So as they're driving through Platt City, Missouri, Clyde saw two red brick cabins for, for let, for rent. Okay. And he was like, yeah, that looks pretty good. Mm-hmm. Right. We'll stay, we'll stay the rest of the night here. And that'll be that. I think his quote was literally like, this is where we stay the rest of the night, even if we all end up killed by morning. Okay. Is that foreshadowing? It might have been foreshadowing that Clyde's sixth sense is, is trickling through. Oh, God. Yeah. So, the five of them check into the Red Crown Tourist Court, which was the two brick cabins. Mm-hmm. And they were joined by two garages. And the, and the gang rented both of them. They were like, we'll take both of the cabins, we'll take both of the garages, we're just going to set up shop here for a couple of days. Yeah. Across the way from these cabins was the Red Crown Tavern, which was a local hub for local patrolmen. Of course! They're just hanging out right where the police love to just chill. Yep, they were hanging out at the police hotspot. Great combination. That's that's hilarious, actually. That could not be, like, written better. Right? Like, the irony. The irony. So, right from the start, the gang made very little effort not to be suspicious. <laughs> They're like, hey, want to have a shootout out front? Yeah, drink some alcohol? Cool. And then just yeah, shout wanna... into the wind, we are the Barrow Gang! <laughs> like, are you reading my scripts? Like, <laughs> calm down. <laughs> <laughs> no, what really happened was so Blanche was the front woman for this particular operation. And she made some choices. <laughs> yeah. So Blanche goes up to the landlord and says that there are only three people staying at the court. Okay. And the owner, Neil Hauser, just watched five people move in. So he's like, Okay. It's kind of sus. Like, <laughs> I can count. Yeah. But okay. <laughs> Hauser also noted that the gang parked their car gangsta style for a quick getaway. That oh. means that they backed the car up into the garage. That's all it means. That's they, funny. They, 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 they backed into their parking spot, which is what my dad does, so I feel like I have some questions for my dad. <laughs> Why are you parking gangster town, father? <laughs> yeah, what is the, what's the issue? What's going on here? What's the story, Balamori? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> That's another episode. Uh, Blanche also made the decision to pay for their cabins and food with coins which is super suspicious it is they were like hey why are you paying in like she was basically like they're like oh it's like ten dollars to rent this cabin and she's like i have quarters yeah and she's sitting there like counting out her quarters on the counter and they're just like um she's just like please no questions yeah she's like i was not not taking any questions at this time (laughs) 
Uh, <laughs> next day, Hauser noted that all of the windows in the cabin had been taped over with newspapers. What the fuck are they thinking? <laughs> oh my god. Just close the curtains, my guys. Yeah, they were like, no. Newspapers is where it's at. Curtains are for, for law-abiding citizens, and we as outlaws. <laughs> I mean, fair. Right in front of the police tavern. <laughs> Next day, Blance once again paid for food with coins, and they're like, come on. <laughs> Let's not do this. Yeah. The ultimate red flag, though, came in the form of Blanche's outfit. Hmm? Blanche was wearing pants. And women don't wear pants. And this conservative little town... Platt City. Well, women just don't wear pants. Yeah, what is she doing? That is so that is so bizarre. Who is this she, woman? She was wearing Jodhpur riding breeches, to be exact. Those are the ones that are like the, you know, those like the safari, like the, the explorer, like puffy thigh yeah, yeah. pants. Yeah, like full on, like she was wearing those. She was rocking them. There's pictures of her wearing them. She looks fabulous. Oh my gosh. She's like, I I'm not in the woods. I need to, I need to look the part. I am in I the wilderness. She's like, I am surviving and I am thriving. <laughs> I need to see these photos. <laughs> great. They'll be on Instagram. <laughs> she looked great, but the these 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 small town uh, people in, in Platte City were like, that's really fucking weird. <laughs> Why is this woman wearing pants? Look, we could get over the weird taping over with the newspaper and the quarter thing. We could look past all of that, but the pants, that is where we draw the line as a town. And that is that is exactly what happened. They were like that is, you cannot do that. <laughs> so, uh, Blanche, because she was the woman wearing pants, the only woman in Platte uh, Plat City to wear pants, yeah. she was very memorable. Like, so people were tracking Blanche walking around Platte City because they were like, that's a woman wearing pants. <laughs> Where's she going in those pants? Like, what? She's got places to be, and I could see her legs. <laughs> I bet she's got pockets, too. Those pants are holding secrets. <laughs> yeah. So Hauser goes to the tavern, and he's flagging over one of the tavern locals, Captain William Baxter of the Highway Patrol, and he's like, hey, did you see the woman wearing pants? <laughs> that suspicious woman in her suspicious pants? Yeah, she's got secrets in those pants. They're like, they're puffy up at the top. I, like, we need to check this out. And Captain Baxter's like, I got you. <laughs> Like, 100%, I'm going to look into this. This is very suspicious. Yeah. No women will wear pants in our town. <laughs> Not in Platte City, no sir. <laughs> so Clyde and WD make a trip into town with Blanche to purchase bandages, atropine sulfate, cheese and crackers. Cheese and crackers. Oh cheese gosh. and crackers. So atropine sulfate, for those who don't know, it's a drug used to block nerve stimulation. So basically it's a muscle relaxant. Ah, I'm so they were, this is for Bonnie. Yeah, so they were getting medical supplies for Bonnie. And so, she's also like, and get me cheese and crackers. <laughs> yeah, she's like, I'm hungry. I'm hungry as hell, and I really want some cheese and crackers. I don't, I can't feel my leg. Like, give me the small pleasure. When Clyde is like, yes, my queen. I can never wear pants again. I need this cheese and crackers. <laughs> Blanche is wearing all the pants. Sorry for the tangent. Okay, so they get these supplies. Yes, they get these supplies. So Sheriff Holt Coffee, who is Baxter's like favorite like right hand man, gets a call from a drugstone owner in town, and he's like, "Hey, there's a woman wearing pants here," <laughs> and he's like, "Oh yeah, that woman," and he says, "A woman in riding breeches and two men came in to buy meds and cheese," and he's like, "Okay, so we're watching this woman in pants, but Oklahoma and Texas and Arkansas law enforcement had sent out a national alert for people to flag 
if anybody came into stores looking for these supplies because they knew Bonnie was injured. Yeah. So there were people looking out for young people well-dressed buying medical supplies in bulk. Yeah. And then here comes Blanche in her pants and these boys that are dressed to the nines behaving weird, buying burn meds, buying cheese. <laughs> and Baxter was like, it's all coming together. <laughs> I'm connecting the dots. It's all in the pants. It's all in the pants. <laughs> these pants, I've discovered these pants secrets. <laughs> so Sheriff Coffee contacts Baxter and Baxter's like, you read my goddamn mind calls for reinforcements, which I assume are in the tavern, because every, every police and patrolman in this town are in this tavern. <laughs> but he also calls into the government. He's like, hey, what have you got? They're like, we can give you an armored vehicle. Wow. Yeah. That, that They called the, the city government for extra backup, and they were like, oh, well, we're not sure if it's the Barrow Gang. It might not be. Like, yeah. well, we'll, we'll let you guys investigate and come back to us. Let us know if the gang's there. Yeah. Uh, so Blanche swings by that tavern once again to pick up towels and soap to pay, assumingly, with coins. Yeah. And the place, while had been, like, they had been, like, talking and planning and skinning, Blanche walks in and the place just goes dead silent. Oh, that's not, that's not a, a yeah, red flag Blanche's, at all. <laughs> Blanche is like, ooh, don't like that. Yeah. <laughs> like, forget the towels and the soap. I'm, sorry, you, I'll be on my way oh, off, yeah. so I'll take my pants, I'll get my pants out of here. <laughs> oh, man. So Blanche runs back over across the street and she goes to warn the boys. She's like, Clyde, like, I think something's up. Like, the jig is up. Yeah. And Clyde, who is normally so, like, on it and with his sixth sense, he's like, no, everything's fine. Oh, my God. You and your pants are hallucinating. <laughs> this is why we don't let you wear pants. Yeah, like, you're, you're getting ideas with those pants of yours. <laughs> well, anyway, Blanche was really upset by this. She was like, well, well look, fuck you. I'm going to go over there and I'm going to go I'm take my pants elsewhere. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so a few hours later, Clyde calls over to Blanche and Buck, and he's like, hey, can you go get more food? Bonnie's hungry. And Blanche is like, get it yourself. <laughs> Me and my pants are pouted over here. You cannot. <laughs> and Buck was like, yeah, what she said. <laughs> yeah, I'm with my woman on this one. Yeah, I was like, I'm not getting up. I'm not messing with Blanche. She's wearing pants right now, and I'm very scared. <laughs> Can't argue with this. No, ma'am. So they compromised, and they sent WD out. On his own, of course. That's that's what yeah. the coffee boy does. Hey, hey yeah. Go they, get they they sent our sixteen year old intern out to go get some food. So at ten thirty at night, WD exits the cabins and walks over to the tavern. Mm -hmm. And all of these cops who are in this tavern are like, "That's not a lady wearing pants." <laughs> and they were like, "Who the fuck is this guy?" <laughs> and so they noted that the young gentleman who left the cabins looked nervous and kept looking back towards the cabins. Because he's a 16-year-old yeah. <laughs> going into a, a police hub to get sandwiches for the Barrow Gang. Oh my god. Yeah. So, the assembled gang, uh, the police gang, approaches the cabins at 11pm that night, armed with submachine guns, and what they assumed was the element of surprise. So, m keep in mind here, like most gunfights that the Barrows are in, um, they were ambushes or quick reactions. Yeah. Like, they, they were, like, they were taken by surprise and people got hurt. That was kind of, like, where they're going. Yeah. The, the Barrow Gang's guns were way more powerful than officers that were usually sent to investigate. And Barrows were the ones that shot first. So they got out of most gunfights on, on the up and up. Like, they had the advantage in most gunfights. Yeah. This fight was fairer, but it was not fair. The Barrows still had the advantage on this in this gunfight because they had the high-powered weaponry. And we'll find out what the police have very shortly. Hmm. So at 1 a.m. July 19, 1933, Officer Coffey and Captain Baxter made their move. 
So they took their small force of officers and moved towards the cabin, armed with shields made from boilerplates. Okay. So they're going in like a fucking medieval army with guns in one hand and shields on the other. Yeah, they're scared, I'm sure. I mean, they've heard the stories of this gang. They know that like that this is mm-hmm. going to be deadly. They know what kind of guns they're using. They know that using the, the Browning automatic rifles. They're like, that shit can pierce cars. Yeah. And we are not cars. We are softer than cars. Yes. Like, they will fuck us up if they... And they have the... They had the high ground. They were in these... Ca- they were, these cabins were elevated. They were ab- kind of above these garages. Mm-hmm. So they had, like... They had these newspapered up windows, but they could see a lot more, and people couldn't see in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... They also proceeded to park their armored vehicle in front of the garages to prevent a getaway. So, as far as the police were concerned, the gang was trapped. Yeah. The only way out of that building in a car was through the garages, which they have just blocked with an armored vehicle. Sheriff Coffey knocks on the uh, knocks on the door of Blanche and Buck's cabin. They're in one cabin, and Bonnie and Clyde are in the other cabin. And Blanche calls out, saying she wasn't dressed. She's like, I'm not wearing my pants right now. You can't come in. And Coffee responded, well, put your trousers on and come out yourself. Yeah. He's like, it was literally like, this. these pants were a thing. Yeah. No, we know, we know the pants. We know you have them. Put them on. Yeah. Put those pants on and you come out right now, Miss Young Lady. <laughs> and she was like, oh. <laughs> so Coffee then asked where the men were. And Blanche apparently shouted as loud as she could to allied Clyde and WD on the other side. That they, And she shouted, oh, they're in the cabin over. Trying to get Clyde and WD's attention. And Clyde and WD got the message. They were like, oh shit, we've been had. Yeah. So immediately, Clyde and WD unleash on those of the police. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's just guns out of doors and windows, and they are just firing. Holy crap. And Buck joined in shortly after from the other side of the cabin. So the makeshift boilerplate shields helped up against the piercing, but the impact from the bullets actually pushed the police back. So they're not being hit by the bullets, but the force that these guns are emitting just pushed that whole line back. Yeah. Because of that, though, there's a lot of ricochets. So glass shards and wood chips are flying everywhere. I can so imagine. Bedlam. Uh, it's actually reported that a rogue bullet shot by the gang flew into the tavern across the road. Oh, no. It flew through the kitchen wall, through both of the walls of the stove, and hit Coffee's son Clarence, who was hiding in the tavern that night, and it hit him in the arm. That's so sad. Yeah. He he was not he did was not killed, but he if the bullet did get embedded in his arm and he was uh was wounded for some time. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. So during the fight, Clyde and WD use the internal doorways to reach the garage and load up for a speedy getaway. So they're basically like there's a a, a, a door on the inside of the cabins that goes straight into the garage where they're kind of like quickly like, let's ferry some stuff over here, let's get Bonnie in the car. Um and they're kind of using these internal ways while they're giving uh cover. Mm-hmm. From there, though, they immediately notice that the armored vehicle is blocking the garage. They're like, oh, shit. Yeah. So, note, this wasn't an armored truck. This wasn't a full armored, like what we imagine like an armored vehicle is. Mm -hmm. It was a car that had been fitted with bulletproof glass, and it had the same plating as the shields that the police had. It was made with boilerplate reinforcing. It was really a makeshift armored vehicle, and it was armored, but it wasn't an armored car. It wasn't designed to be armored. Yeah. Uh, it also was not 100% bulletproof. I can see where this and is going. at close range, Clyde and WD's uh, bullets, their high-powered guns, absolutely fucking pierced the ship. Wow. 
So the car was full of holes within minutes under the unyielding fire. The driver, there's a man inside this car. <gasps> the driver was a man named George Highfill, and he was hit in both knees. Oh my god. Yeah. That, is that all the injuries he sustained, though? I mean, that's yeah, actually he was, insane if that's... Yeah, the, the glass protected his chest and his, uh, his head, but the boiler plating in the front of the car where the engine was didn't protect that. So it went through and hit him in the knees. Wow. That's it crazy. Also, it also hit the horn button in the car. So now there's just this unrelenting wail coming from this car oh because the God. horn is now busted. Yeah. So Highfield is like, oh, shit, I've been shot in the knees. Mm-hmm. And he immediately starts uh, retreating. He pulls that car out of that uh, that driveway. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm not blaming him at all. I mean, he probably had no say in the matter, but I'm like, why position a driver there? Yeah, I don't know why I, you'd keep someone in the car. If, yeah, you're, if, it's, I, if it's there to just be a blockade, leave it as a blockade. Get mm-hmm. Why is there a human in it? And he probably thought he was safe in there. He was probably like, oh, they probably just got some pistols. Because mm-hmm. it might not be the Barrow Gang. They didn't think that they were going up against BARs. Yeah. And yeah, he and it, it was probably like, it happened so quickly, he didn't even have time to respond. It's unreal. Yeah. So now they're pulling the armored truck out of the driveway. The driver's been shot in both knees. Uh, and now there's just this horn wailing over this time. To add to the confusion, someone was positioned behind the cabins. So the firefight's happening in the front of the cabins. There's somebody behind the cabins. And they fire a tear gas rocket that overshoots considerably. Oh my lord. So they fire it over the cabins. It was supposed to land in the front of the cabins and blow into it to, you know, kind of smoke them out. He missed, and it landed in the parking lot of the tavern. Perfect. So... It landed behind the officers. The wind then picked it up and blew it into the police. Love it. Wow. So, the car alarm's going off. They've just been tear-gassed by their own person. And he's just like, my bad, guys, just run. And he's like, I got him, I got him. And they're just like, oh my god, Jim. Jesus (laughs) Christ. Oh my god. These are, like, legit comedy skits. I cannot get over this. This is just, like... And it's it's on both sides. It's on both sides. It's not even just, like, one or the other. This is just comedy. It's the luck it's the luck of it all. Yeah. It's just like, and and like this should not have been going on for this long, and it just keeps going. God. Well, Clyde sees this and he's like, "Jackpot!" Yeah, that is like that's the heavens telling me to get the fuck out of here. Absolutely. So he and WD are they loaded Bonnie into the car and they're getting ready to peel out of there, but there's one problem. Blanche and Buck had no access to the garage internally, so if they wanted to get to the car. They have to run into the open. Oh. Yeah. That's uh, not a good idea. No. But it's the but only idea. It's the only idea. You either run for it or you get caught. Yeah. So, Blanche and Buck race to the car and the police let loose. Oh, no. A bullet fired by Captain Baxter himself found its mark. He shot Buck through the left temple and the bullet exited out of his forehead. That's so sad. And he went down like a ton of the bricks, unconscious. What? He lived. What? How? He was unconscious. So Blanche and Clyde, they're like, oh shit, I like that person. Yeah. They're scrambling. So Clyde jumps out of the car. Blanche is like, I can't lift him. He's huge. Yeah. And they're just dragging this limp buck into the car while WD is giving them covering fire. Oh my fucking god. I'm stressed right they, now, ma'am. My heart's <laughs> Right? So they get him into the car. They get the whole gang is in the car and they just 
peel out of there straight onto the freeway. And the officers are just like, they're shooting their guns in the air. They're just like, shit. Bonnie's laying so there close. like a sack of potatoes. Can't do nothing. She's just, like you said, drugged and scared and like, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. if she's awake at all. Buck's yeah. unconscious and has a bullet wound in the head, is bleeding out in the back seat. WD is 16 years old still, shooting back, try, just doing his thing, and Clyde is just... We're not done. Uh, what? We're not done. So as they're peeling out and getting onto the freeway, oh, the officers sh- keep shooting. One bullet hits the rear windshield, shattering the glass. No! Which hits Blanche in the eyes. No! She is now nearly blind. Oh my god, they all just, other than Clyde, are just like, oh my god, NWD, I guess, but he's 16. Yeah. He still got the bullet in his ribs. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Fuck. Yeah, he was shot earlier. He's probably just walking around with a hole in his chest. Like, fine. Yeah. I mean, the years, you know, not that you care anyway. Yeah, he's just like, thanks, Mom. Thanks, Dad. Wow. Yeah, so Blanche was hit with glass shrapnel in the eyes. And from here on out, she is nearly blind. She never gets her sight back. Yeah, that's awful. Yeah. So, Carr successfully, however, gets onto the freeway, and the officers choose not to pursue. Probably because they can't. Because at this time, there's a law where if outlaws cross state lines police jurisdiction ends you can't follow them so if they suddenly switch states if they go into arkansas new mexico texas wherever they're going whoever's chasing them in the previous state can't follow them that's so weird yeah it's fixed later that that rule was changed later but at this current moment that's just what they deal with if someone gets on the freeway they're pretty much out of state they can't catch them they're in a ford v8 we've got a car that goes 40 max like, by the time, like, we even get on the freeway, they're already in a different state. Yeah, the math just doesn't add up for them. Nope. So two police officers were injured in this. Only two. Wow. Yeah. So Sheriff Coffey was injured in the neck by a stray bullet, but it was really, it was, like, it was nothing. Yeah. It was, ju- it was just, like, a surface scratch. And then, of course, Officer Highfill had been shot in the knee. So those are the only two injuries in this fight. Coffee was really proud, though, that he got injured and that he'd survived a gunfight with the Barrow Gang. He was like, guys, I got shot and I lived. Like, how cool am I? Yeah. And his poor squad mates were looking a bit bashful because he had actually been injured by friendly fire. Oh, my God. Coffee had been shot by one of his own and they were too ashamed to go, sorry, it wasn't actually the Barrow Gang that injured you. It was me. (laughs) Whoops! Yeah, this whole thing was a fucking mess. <laughs> and and they're volunteer police officers. I can't stress this enough. These are people who are not trained for this. Yeah, they're just a bunch of people who are like, I'm defending my people. I'm defending my home. And they're not prepared to go up against you know high powered rifles. They're not prepared to go up against criminals of this caliber. That's wild. Yeah, but they did <clears throat> search the cabins because the cabins have just now just been abandoned. Yeah. So inside, yeah, inside they found the food that WD had been sent out to get. So that was untouched. So they sent WD out to get food and they never ate it. Well, it sounds like they didn't have a lot of time. Well, I mean, they had three hours to eat these fucking sandwiches. I'm you, just said saying. He, you said he went out at 1030 and then they started approaching at 11. Yeah, but they only started firing at 1 a.m. But what if, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> My point is, I feel like Double D was just sent out just as, like, a, a fuck you. No, <laughs> Bonnie, like Bonnie and Clyde needed some alone time, and so they, need, they gave him just a chore. 
I guess. He was just like, Blanche, take care of the kid for a bit. She's like, it's not my kid. <laughs> That's not my kidnapped kid. <laughs> That's not my kidnapped kid. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, they found the food. They also found a syringe kit stolen from a medical bag. Oh. And this actually started a rumor that the Barrow Gang were junkies. Oh, but people it- heard that they had syringes in this this cabin, and I guess like word that Bonnie was injured didn't spread that far, because it kind of like, that would the, the fact that she was injured, she couldn't use one of her legs. That kind of ruined like the scandalous crime fantasy. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like people didn't really know about it. So they're like, oh, they had syringes in their thing. They must be dr- they must be uh, junkies. They yeah. must be doing drugs. Hey, yeah, uh, yeah. they also left behind a massive arsenal of high powered guns. But does that mean the police get to keep them and use them now? Uh, unfortunately not, because they were stolen. <laughs> well. They also found the borrowed gun that had belonged to Officer Humphrey, who had been killed a couple of weeks before. They found his brother-in-law's gun. Wow. That got left behind. <clears throat> and I can only hope it was returned to the family. Yeah. So, Barrow Gang had taken a real heavy hit. So Buck was alive, but he was really, really badly wounded. Blanche was now blind. God. And could no longer be a spotter. Is Buck Bonnie, actually okay? Like, is he, like, actually normal and good and okay after getting shot in the head? Like, Well, we'll get to it. We'll get to what happened to Buck. Okay. I'm like, I don't know yeah. that you're just, like, fine after that. Like, he just, like, walks He doesn't off. die of this injury. Okay. I'm gonna... I'll tell you right now. He doesn't die from this. Okay. Yeah. I'm but sus. it's not good. It's not good. So, yeah. Blanche is blind. Buck is injured. He's shot in the temple. Bonnie is injured. Pretty much, it's down to Clyde and WD. It's down to you know this this you know twenty one year old guy and a sixteen year old. So July twenty third, gang rocks up to a place called Dexfield Park. It's an abandoned amusement park in Dexter, Iowa. So the group only has one car. So WD and Clyde head into Perry, Iowa. They steal a car. It's just what they do. When you come into a new town, you just steal a car. Yeah, I mean you gotta get a new car. New town, new car. New, who this? Yeah. Uh, they steal a car belongs to, belonging to a man named Edward Stoner, okay. and he was a local butcher and grocer. He was fine. He was like, oh, my car. Okay. <laughs> oh, that can't do anything about that. Yep, it sucks. Yeah. So he was fine, but he lost a car. So after that, they made several trips in and out of town for hospity quantity of medical supplies that they needed for, for Blanche, for Bonnie, and for Buck. Okay. All of the bees, I've just realized. Blanche, Bonnie, and Buck. <laughs> Only if your name starts with a B, you're fucked. I'm sorry. Fucked, you can't yeah. be in the Barrow Gang. Oh, it's a tough life. Uh, yeah. So they go, they go, they're going constantly into Dexter. In one day, I'm going to say, this was all in one day. They just keep coming in and out, in and out, in and out, to just tend to the wounded. Yeah. And the people of Dexter and Perry were like, yeah, okay. So that's fine. Yeah. They had no idea who the Barrow Gang were. But they did know that this was the this was the Great Depression, and if a handsome young man in a suit rocks up, starts flashing cash, and you you gave him what you had, he was like, he's got money. Yeah. He clearly knows like he has got money. Let's just give him what he wants, and he'll come back and give us more money. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One of the clothing stores in town that Clyde kept going to was actually run by a police officer named John Love. Oh my! And God. he sold Clyde's shoes, shirts, and, and socks, and he was like, yeah, he had money. Uh, I didn't know who he was. (laughs) That's crazy. Wow. Yeah. So once they were set up in Dexfield, they could actually take a proper look at Buck. And I'm going to say this is a trigger warning again for graphic description of injury. We're going to talk about what actually happened to Buck. Okay. So pretty much he had nothing short of a massive hole in his head. Yeah. So bone and parts of his brain were exposed. 
and he had suffered massive blood loss. God. Head wounds just ch- tend to bleed a lot, but this was like, this was something. He was cold. He was, he was, he had the shakes. He, he was just, he was going through it. Yeah. Oh, poor book. Yeah. Blanche had glass shards in her eyes. Yeah. And it has actually revealed she also had pieces of bullet lodged in her skull, just in her hairline. Oh my god. Yeah. So she was that close to. Yeah, she shot could herself. have been killed. Yeah. And, but she got lucky, uh, lucky in quotations, that she only lost her sight. She could have been, she could have had her, uh, if that bullet had hit at a different angle, she could have had her head blown off. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. So Buck was semi-conscious. Uh, so he, he could talk, he could eat, um, but he, he wasn't doing well. Clyde and WD even dug a grave for him in, the, in Dexfield because they were like, I don't think he's going to make it. Like, he's got a hole in his head. Yeah, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be that confident either. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, it's your brother. He's bleeding out. You don't want him to suffer. And that's just that, that pain. It's like, my, the love of my life is injured. My brother is injured. My brother's wife is injured. Like, I'm sure, like, the helplessness of this situation was really starting to creep in. And WD is just like, I didn't want to be here. Yeah. Oh, my God. Like, this is God. I have a bullet in my side. Like, this is going to happen to me. We're all going to die. Like- yeah. I, I can, I'm pretty sure, like, at this point, they were like, is this even worth it? Are yeah. we, like, we're not even that good of criminals. Yeah. Like, we can barely rob a bank. We can't even properly, like, we can't even, like, live in, a, in, in cabins properly. Like, yeah. what, what is this? They're living paycheck to paycheck as criminals and barely making it out alive. And it's like, dude, this is not worth it. Pretty much. So, at the same time, there was a man named Henry Nye who was out hunting for wild blackberries. Just casually. Yeah. Because Dexfield was bordering with his property. So he was out on his property and he stumbled upon the camp. Oh, okay. So he, just a casual hiker, he's like, oh, I see a camp. And it's covered in bloody bandages, bloody clothes. There's a a, a bloody map in the center of just kind of like figuring out where things were. And I'm like, if you're a hiker and you've just found this camp, like, what are your first thoughts? You're like, oh, someone's been murdered here. Yep, I need to go get police now because I'm going to be next if I don't get out of here right now. Yep, I found a bath, and I'm sure he probably came across, like, unconscious Bonnie, unconscious, like, Buck. Yeah. Just lying there, and he's just like, I'm not dealing with that. Yeah. Oh, God, that's a that's a sight to come across. That's traumatizing. Yeah. There are also reports that a Girl Scout troop found this camp. None of these but, people ever hiked again after that. <laughs> but the campers were friendly when the Girl Scouts showed up, and they were like, yeah, okay. It's just a normal thing. They were just, like, they're just hanging out in the woods in this abandoned amusement park. They're fine. Oh my god. Yeah, so the kids were fine. They didn't think anything of it until later where it was revealed it was the Barragon. They were like, ah, oh, shit, was it? That's crazy. What? Yeah. So at any rate, Henry Dye's like, oh, I don't like that. So he goes to John Love, the, 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 the clothing salesman slash police officer. And he's like, hey, do you know there's a bloody campsite in Dexfield? Like, do you know anything about this? And John Love's like, uh... I do now. Doesn't does, does ring any bells. Yeah. I've, been selling, I've been selling clothes out the wazoo, though, so like, it's been a good business day. <laughs> Oh, man. So John Love and, and Henry Nye, they go to the, the park together with a pair of binoculars. And they look into this, this camp and they see two cars, one of which is stolen and the other is full of bullet holes. Oh, my God. So John Love calls Dallas County Sheriff Clint Nee and is like, hey, random question. Um, are there any outlaws in our area? Like, are we looking for anyone? <laughs> and Nee's like, um, well, I heard that the Barrow Gang was out and about, but I, I don't think they're here. Or it could be. Maybe you should check out. And Love's like, uh, can you? Can I get some backup just in case it is the Barrow Gang? And he's like, yeah. Sh-. And he's like, yeah, sure. 
I'll send, I'll send you some guys. So, Sheriff Clinton, he took, uh, he was like, police officers, dentists, militia, random grumpy locals, did you guys feel like coming with me just to check out this bloody campsite? And 50 people showed up, and they were like, yeah. Yeah. I got some morbid uh, curiosity, like, I'm here for that. And, like, the fact that he called a dentist, he actually legit called a dentist, he was, that was the first person he called, he called, like, the local dentist in, in, in Dexter, and he was like, hey, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, you know, just a root canal, he's like, hey, you wanna go look at a bloody campsite? And the like, I will cancel all of my appointments, we're going to Dexter. <laughs> I love that. I yeah. love how he was just so down for it. Yeah, the he was whole just town, like, I'm gonna... 50 people. Yeah, they got a 50-person militia. But news spread quickly, and the 50-person party suddenly had 100 spectators following them. So it's 150 people are like, Woo, there's a bloody campsite. Let's go look. I like that, like, 50 people are like, yeah, we're going to help. And then the other people are just kind of like, well, we're just going to watch you help. <laughs> like, that's yeah, that. and it was like press. It was like curious onlookers like, oh, maybe we'll see a gunfight. That'd be kind of cool. What the fuck? Okay. Yeah, there are a lot of journalists were there with cameras. They're like, oh, just in case it's the Barrow Gang, we'll be there to take pictures of the gunfight. And I'm like, okay. As if you're just going to, yeah, they're just not going to shoot at you. You're fine. Yeah. So a swarm descends upon this campsite at about 5 a.m. on July 24th, the day before my birthday. (laughs) (laughs) And it quickly devolved into the largest shootout in Dallas County history. Holy crap. So it looks like the posse that had gathered literally stumbled upon the Barrow Gang having breakfast. (laughs) Can you imagine how surprised they would be sitting there? Like, after all the shit they've been through, too, all of a sudden they're just like, wait, I think I hear something. And you just look up, and there's 150 people, like, running at you. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're just coming through the bushes. Like, I'm sipping, like, you're sipping your coffee, you're eating your beans, you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> I think they're coming That's to a us. lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> you coming to check out our bloody campsite? Oh, we should have cleaned that up, so sorry. Yeah, so, uh, the Barrow Gang are like, what the fuck? And the gang's like, it's the Barrow Gang, shoot them! And they just start firing. Oh, my God. This is well, some Looney Barrow- Tune shit, dude. Like- it is. It is. But the Barrow Gang had high-powered weaponry. They're like, well, fuck you. Yeah. And they start shooting back. And the boss are like, oh, shit, they got guns. We didn't expect this. Like, what a strange turn of events. Oh, my God. So the posse retreats back into the woods like, oh, fuck, they got guns. Yeah, what do we do now? And then they go like, oh, shit. And so the gang are like, oh, shit, okay. So we'll just... Let's get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> so they start loading up the car. So they all pile into the car. The posse's like getting covered, but they're still shooting through yeah. the woods. And while they're shooting, so like Clyde gets the car started and they all pile into the car. They get going, but Clyde is shot while they start. Oh no. So he's shot in the arm. He veers the steering wheel. The car slips onto the tree, uh, onto a tree stump and it just grounds to a halt. Can't get this car free. Oh no. So the five, including the three injured, one of which is blind, yeah, and one of the just semi-conscious, they flee to the second car, oh. the one that was full of bullet holes, yeah, and it wouldn't start. Because it's full of bullet holes. And it's been filled with even more bullet holes because the posse, they're basically using that car as, as, as cover against this posse shooting in the woods. Yeah. So Buck was hit no less than five times in the back. Wow. And was bleeding out. And Blanche was just screaming oh my. at this point. She was just screaming at them. It's like, stop shooting. He's dying already. So Bonnie and Clyde are kind of looking at this very difficult situation. No, the remaining couple, uh, so they, yeah, they, they basically are like, what do we do? So here's Buck. He's got a hole in his head and he's been shot in the back five times. Blanche is blind. 
and she's just mortified. She, her husband has been has been gravely wounded. So they they made a very difficult decision. They made the the decision that Clyde continually makes through this adventure. And they left him. They left him behind. So Bonnie, Clyde, and W.D. fled on foot, leaving fatally wounded and uh, Buck and a blind Blanche behind. That's unbelievable. So Blanche and Buck were very quickly apprehended by the posse. Buck was quickly taken to King Daughter's Hospital in Perry, Iowa, so he was immediately taken to the hospital. And the doctors were, were amazed at how clean Buck's wounds were. Yeah. Yeah. So Buck was immediately put into surgery, but his odds were not great. He had actually contracted pneumonia, as well as an infection in the head wound, which had caused his brain to swell. And the doctor's like, this is going to kill him in a couple of days. Wow. I will say kudos to the hospital. They did call Clyde and Buck's mother, and she literally raced down to Iowa with her youngest son, Elsie. And they made it to the hospital for Buck's last lucid day before the pneumonia knocked him out. Wow. He died July 29th, 1933, in the hospital. So sad. But it was, he was in a coma at the time, so we can only hope it was painless. He'd suffered enough. Yeah. You know, they did what they could to make him comfortable. Uh, but he, he unfortunately <clears throat> passed away, July 29th. And what about Blanche? So, so Blanche was arrested and repeatedly testified that she really didn't want to be in the gang, and she was really only there to hang out with her husband. Yeah. She was officially blind in one of her eyes, and she had very impaired vision in the other, so she could kind of see. She was kind of, like, aware of what was going on, but she really, like... It, it took her a moment to, like, recognize, and she wasn't good at recognizing things immediately. Yeah. Um, we'll get back to Blanche later in part three, because she kind of goes on this bit of a journey. Um, but, but let it be known, this is where she officially leaves the gang. Her husband is dead. She has no reason to stay. She's been arrested. So she she's she blind, departs. but she made it out alive. We, I will say she made it out alive, and she lived a long time. Okay. So... The remaining three members had managed to cross a river, steal a car from another farm, and drive to safety. Safety-ish. You know, like, the WD, the 16-year-old, Bonnie, who doesn't have any control over her leg, and Clyde, who's just lost his brother. Yeah. So, you can imagine how that was, that escape did not bode well. Yeah. And it was one that they knew that they couldn't recover from. Yeah. So, next six weeks were a complete blur. Three remaining members had lost two friends, they had lost their entire budget and their entire arsenal. But they were determined to rebuild. So they did their usual scheme, you know, the gas station thing, the funeral homes, grocery stores for cash. Um, and they actually pushed out their their stomping grounds. So they, they started spreading into unfamiliar territory, new towns, new cities, where they hadn't been seen before. Because they kind of, at this point, they kind of had a rhythm. Yeah. They were kind of driving in a circle around a couple of states. And they would just keep hitting and keep hitting and keep hitting. They would like deviate a little bit, but it was a very like, clear path. Yeah. But now they're like they're going out into the into the the unknown. Mm. Um, there are reports that they hit Colorado, Minnesota, Mississippi, all while restocking. They got better guns. They got their money back. They you know they were just they were just rebuilding because they had to. They, yeah. That was all they could do. Uh, and then suddenly it was September. So time, yeah, like at this point, time just was flying by for the gang. Like they, they, all they could do was just keep to their rhythm. And, and the crisis in Dexter was starting to subside. So they're like, all right, guys, you know, we've, we've been in crisis mode for, for months now. It's time to go see our families. So they decided to go back to Dallas, Texas for the first time in four months. 
uh, WD split from Bonnie and Clyde on September 7th. And the story differs here. Some say that uh, WD split amicably. He's like, yeah, I'll see you guys in Texas. But my mom moved, so I'm just going to go see her in a different town. Mm-hmm. And then he later said that it was in Mississippi. He was like, I can just get into a car and leave. And he just got into a car and just raced off. Oh. So he, pu- he pulled the, um, that escape again. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, okay. he... Yeah, so at, at whatever the story was, and, I, and I'm sure WD said, said a lot of stories when he was older, to be like, yeah, like, I wasn't with the Barrow Gang. Yeah. Like, I never I never wanted to be with them, just to kind of, like, save Separate face himself. a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, if you start admitting to, like, I love being in the Barrow Gang, people are like, well, you should be in prison. Mm-hmm. So they officially split. Uh, WD headed to Houston, where his mother was, and Bonnie and Clyde headed to Dallas, where their families were. So, November 8th, Bonnie and Clyde proceed to rob the McMurray Refinery in Arp, Texas, and nothing bad happened. All right. Yeah. They were just, they're hitting things on the way back. WD literally just went straight to Houston. Yeah. I'm sure he's trying to probably keep it in line, too, after just everything they've been through. I'm sure he really is not trying to ruffle any feathers. So he, like you said, they're, they're sticking to what they know, and they're just, they're doing it and getting out as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Well, see, it's funny that you say that, because WD did manage to maintain a low profile in Houston for a time. Yeah. But an acquaintance of his was like, wait a second, aren't you in the Barrow Gang? Yeah. And they called the police on him. Oh, no. So on November 16th, he was approached by Dallas County Deputy Bob Alcorn and Ed Caster, and he was arrested without incident. Oh. They came and arrest him, and he's just like, yep, this is me. Yeah, he was like, I think he was working on his, like, his family farm. He was just, like, planting crops. And the cops were like, hey, aren't you W.D. Jones? And he was like, yeah. And they were like, aren't you in the Barrow Gang? And he's like, just take me away. <laughs> just, like, just, I, 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 I give up. <laughs> well. Uh, yeah. So he was officially arrested. And this is officially when his time in the gang ended. So W.D. is now free of the Barrow Gang. All right. He was 17 at the time of the arrest. Wow. All of this yeah. happened in such a short amount of time. This just doesn't feel real. It, yeah, but it's like, it's it takes, it, it's a long period of time, but it feels like this happened in a week, mm-hmm. but it was a year, but it was two years, and it's just like, it's just, it's chaotic. Yeah, it, it very much is. Inch, and I'm, I'm actually, I'm going to stake my opinion here. I actually think that him getting arrested here saved his life. Probably, I mean, it, it didn't seem like they were going down a good path. Two other people, you know, I mean, I mean, Buck met his demise, Blanche doesn't sound like she ended up too well. Um, no. I mean... We'll see more, but yeah, no, it's probably good that he got out sooner than yeah. later. Well, if he hadn't been arrested, Clyde and Bonnie would have come knocking at some point, but like get in the car, and yeah. that would have put him in a really rough position later on. So I, I, I truly think that because he got arrested, and I think when he heard about when he hears about what happens later, he's like, oh fuck, that could have been me. Oh gosh, because yeah, because Clyde always wanted WD with him. So if Clyde, something bad happened to Clyde, something bad was happening to WD. Yeah. So. At this point, Bonnie and Clyde have all these guns, they have all this ammo, they have the cars, they have the money, they have each other, and that's it. In the span of five months, they have lost their entire gang due to reckless decisions made in desperate times. They have just, like, they have, they, they restocked, they resupplied, but that's, like, they, what do they have? It's just two of them now, and one of them, they, they both walk with limps. Yeah. She, like, he's, he can't drive comfortably in shoes. He's missing toes, he walks with a limp, she's missing an entire leg. And Bonnie is still in rough shape. She has not recovered from her injuries. Like, she is still, like, dealing with burn medication. Yeah. I mean, so this Clyde is a short time. Yeah. Like, that, the, yeah. burns don't heal quick. 
Especially if you're not treating them actively. She doesn't sound like she's doing a lot to, to really And this is the this. 30s. What medication is there other than, like, muscle relaxants and pain medication? You don't, like, they don't have, you know, revolutionary burn remedies. There's not creams that you can put on this. There's not, like... No, it's like, like keep, we have it, our... keep it clean, don't let it get infected, and like you said, drink a bunch of alcohol so you're not in pain. And take, take yeah. pills. And that's it. Yeah. Bonnie is in, in still in rough shape. Clyde has to consistently go out to either buy or steal medical supplies. And, you know, he's just a constant, like, check on Bonnie, go get stuff. Check on Bonnie, go get stuff. So he's working with a couple of few small-time accomplices, but nobody's stuck around long enough. They're just like, oh, yeah, we hear the barrel gangs like up there. No, they're good. You get, like, all these murder charges. We're like, we're not, we're not big on this. So he pretty yeah. much had nobody to help restart the gang. So meanwhile, Sheriff Bob Alcorn, yes, same guy who arrested WD, he's like, I got the kid. But I want Bonnie and Clyde. That, that's where the that's where the jackpot yeah. is at this point. They have like massive bounties on their head. They're wanted in like <clears throat> six states. And he's just like, if I can catch those two, that's that's the ticket. That's gonna that's gonna that's gonna put my name in history. Yeah. So he starts paying attention to what happened the year before. He's he's paying attention to all their disasters, their paths, their tracks. They're, they're, he's noticing that like. Hey, some of their movements are consistent. He's also paying attention to what got them the closest to being captured. And that was a posse. Okay. So Alcorn's like, you know what I need? I need a posse. I need I need a posse and an ambush. Yeah. So Alcorn recruits two fellow officers <clears throat> to lay a trap. Sheriff Richard Smoot Schmidt. Schmoot Schmidt. Schmoot Schmidt. That's his name. Richard Schmoot Schmidt. Oh. I love it. And apparently he got that name because he was really tall. <laughs> yeah. And I'm that like, checks out. yes, all tall people are called Schmoot. Schmoot Schmidt. Schmoot And right. so he got Schmoot and he got Deputy Ted Hinton. Not Deputy Ted Hinton. Do you remember? The Ted Deputy Hinton? Ted Deputy. Ted Deputy. <laughs> I can't even. Who the hell is this guy? Tell me. Ted Hinton. Do you remember him? He's the guy, the postal worker who used to frequent Bonnie's cafes all the way back at the beginning that Ted Hinton wow yeah he, what a callback okay. yeah yeah he was like oh yeah the postal service stuff isn't going for me being a volunteer police officer that's where the money's at because all I have to do is break up fights wow. and look Ted for bootleggers Ted Deputy Hinton <laughs> that guy and pretty much they recruited him because he knew Bonnie that's wild they're like you know like yeah you like you used to go to her like, you casually engaged in conversation when she was a waitress you know Bonnie and he's like yeah I know Bonnie Bonnie was great I loved Bonnie she's my favorite I, w- uh, I would go see her on Thursday she always served me my favorite pie pre- pretty much that, that was it like, Bonnie was a small town waitress and she was beloved she was always charming she was always witty and so you know she leaves with her <coughs> crime boyfriend Ted's like well guess there's nothing to do with that cafe anymore I guess I'll just be a police officer <laughs> That's just how the story goes. Yeah. So, Ted Al- Alcorn recruits Ted Hinton with Schmoot Schmidt, and he's like, you guys are my crack team. We're going to catch Bonnie and Clyde. Ted's like, sure. And Schmoot's like, yeah. 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 Well, so, yeah, so this three-man posse hears that Bonnie and Clyde are planning on meeting with their family. November 22nd, 1933, in Sowers, Texas. They're like, perfect. That is literally all we need. We just need... A time and a place. We got a posse. Like, consider Bonnie. Yeah, consider Bonnie and Clyde caught. 
So the three officers lie in wait nearby, keeping an eye on the Barrow family car. So they're tracking the the Barrow family, like Barrow, uh, Clyde's mom, his brothers and sisters. He's tracking their car, following them. And they arrive at the destination ahead of time. Clyde's trap sense was a tingling, though, and he was like, no, something's not right. I don't like this. Sees his family and just floors it and drives by them. What? Yeah. Clyde, yeah, Clyde was on his way. He was going to slow down. He even sees the family car, and he's, and he's been like four months pretty much since he's seen his family. Yeah. Sees the family car, gets that little sixth sense, and he's like, no, I can't. No, something's up. And he just yeah. floors it past them. The three officers what? pop out from their hiding place, start open firing, missing every shot because Clyde's sixth sense was like, Ugh. and even the family yeah. were like, what the fuck, guys? Like, yeah. Like, we're a family. What the fuck? Holy crap. Yeah. Wow, that's six cents. Mm-hmm. So none of that's the, crazy. Yeah, none of the Barrow family members were harmed, but a stray bullet did hit Bonnie and Clyde's car and hit them both in the leg. <gasps> and I'm like, the fucking like, what is it with Bonnie and Clyde's legs? Like, the universe just hates their legs. Yeah, they're trying to tell them to stop running. They're on the run. I guess, but they're not running. They're driving. Clyde's good at driving. <laughs> 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 They did, well, say what you will, but they did successfully escape, so. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so, November 28th, a grand, uh, sorry, a Dallas grand jury delivers a murder indictment against Bonnie and Clyde for the murder of Malcolm Davis. So, for those of you who need a refresher, Malcolm Davis was the officer that was waiting inside Lillian Hamilton's house. She, while she was out visiting her cousin and he was behind the door. he just started blasting. Yeah, Clyde just started blasting. Yeah, so they had finally gotten around to that sort of those sort of trials. They'd finally been like, okay, we know who did it. We finally figured it out. It was Bonnie and Clyde. So that's another they officially have another murder charge against them. Yeah. And what's notable about this isn't so much that it's another uh, charge against Clyde. It's the first charge against Bonnie. This is her first murder charge. Which means once she's caught, the police officially have enough evidence to hold on to her. Because that was a bit yeah. of the problem, whereas Clyde had all of these um, murder warrants on him. But Bonnie was like, she's just an accomplice. Like, what can we hold her for? Yeah, and then she and, there. The, and then she puts on her doe-eye routine, which is like, I don't know, the guy, they keep kidnapped me, and he's been keeping me here, and I just don't want to be here anymore. Yeah. And then everyone's like, oh, but Miss Bonnie. Yeah. And then they let her go. So, officially, they have a murder charge, like a murder charge, essentially, on her name. So they have to hold her, and she's now considered a murderer. Wow. Yeah. That changes things. It really does. Now, this guy, Clad, I think, he kind of, he was getting, he was getting very nostalgic, you know, he was thinking about Malcolm Davis and all of this stuff, and he's like, you know, those were the good days, you know, where I was with my buddies, I was with Fultz, and I was with Hamilton, and I was, you know, it was just the four of us, and it was us against the world, and like, nothing was going wrong, we were, we were just some crazy kids chasing this outlaw life. Yeah, I mean, things went wrong, for sure, but yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. But it was, it, was a, it was a simpler time, you know? Things went wrong, yeah. but it was not to the scale that things were going wrong. Yeah, they just tripped over their guns and actually shot themselves in the foot, and it was all right. Yeah, it was just casual time. <laughs> but back then, or in the early days, you know, when the gang was back together, they had a very clear goal. So Clyde looks to Bond, and he's like, Babe, do you remember why we started the gang in the first place? 
Do you remember why they started the gang in the first place? They were gonna go bust everyone out of this prison. They were gonna do a prison break. Yeah, like they just completely forgot and abandoned that dream. They just like got some money and they were like, hey, this is kinda nice. Yeah, and well. And just like kept doing that. Like, Well, it was specifically a prison break for East Ham Prison. Yes. And they were like, that's where Fultz and Hamilton are. So that can accomplish two goals. They can get the band back together. They can get and the they can, Yes! They get the band back together. I was like, why thing. didn't I think of this before? Oh man, I love it. So, January 16th, 1934, the plan went into action. Clyde orchestrated the escape of five inmates from East Ham Prison. And? And, so, the goal was to grab Ray Hamilton and hopefully Fultz, but it wasn't wasn't, you know, it was like, what are the chances that they're both going to be there? Because I think Hamilton was on hard labor, but Fultz wasn't. Ah. Okay. So they're doing different times for different crabs. Gotcha. So, <clears throat> from what I can see, Bonnie and Clyde had a mini arsenal of their favorite high-powered weapons just hiding in a ditch in a field that the prison used uh, used uh, to frequently take inmates to to perform the hard labor. It was like a, a field slightly, it was on like prison grounds, but it was open. Gotcha. And so the guards would come in on horseback, they would bring their, their their inmates with them, they would work in the field for a bit, then they would go back into the prison. Gotcha. Well, Bonnie and Clyde lay in wait for this passing small group of prisoners, and they saw Ray Hamilton, they're like, that's the guy. We need him. He He's is. the important one. He knows yeah. how to rob banks. He sure do. Yeah. So they waited for the, the group and the, the guards to pass by before they ambushed the guards in the ditch and they freed the prisoners. Wow. Well, they didn't free all the prisoners. They freed five prisoners. Specifically, Ray Hamilton, a man named Henry Methvin, who was also very young, like, just barely, like, barely over 18. A man named Joe Palmer, and two others I could not find the names of. All right. Just two guys. They didn't stick around. They weren't important. They kind of yeah. like, oh, shit, that's Bonnie and Clyde, and that's Ray Hamilton. We're going to go with them, and then we'll got to skedaddle. Skedaddle. <laughs> and that's what they did. All right. So, they took the escape. Like they it. did. So the guards on duty were Major Joe Croson and Olden Bosman. And in the ambush, it, it sources vary, and it was either Joe Palmer or Ray Hamilton got their hands on a gun and shot both of the guards. Uh, they shot Joe. Uh, sorry, they shot Joe Croson fatally, and Bosman was wounded. And to this day, we still don't know if it was Palmer or it was Hamilton. They both got charged with the murder, and they were like, well, if we don't know which one it is, we'll just get both of you. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Because, you know, this is text. Yeah. Well, it's better to get two people for the one crime than get no one for no crimes. Yeah. I mean, one of them's a murderer, so their thinking was, we'll, just get, we'll, kill a, we'll kill an accomplice and a murderer rather than let both murderers go free. Hey, you know what? It's not, it's not the worst logic in the world. Yeah. Like, it's not ideal, though. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't lead to good things. No, but in this case, I'm like, you know what? They were already in jail for things, and maybe they had their reasons. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what they did before. Well, they robbed banks. <laughs> Is that what they were doing hard labor for? Was banks? Pretty much theft. I mean, uh, Hamilton was in prison for 266 years, if you remember, which was two murder charges and 66 years for theft. Yeah, but I thought that, like, the murder charges really amped that one up. I just wasn't sure about the other guys. I'm like, maybe they already did horrible things. And so I mean, was... yeah, I don't know what um, Joe Palmer's history was, and I don't know what the other two were who, were, like, just kind of skipped as soon as they were free. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they of course, like, they've all done bad things. They're in prison. But, of course, the treatment of the prison doesn't necessarily, like, it's not forgiven because they're they're criminals. Yeah. No, 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 no. I wasn't saying that. I just yeah. meant, like, because they were all in that already, I just meant, like, they... they 
kind of already had to do something to end yeah. up in prison, right? So I'm like, maybe, I don't know, yeah. maybe the sentences were harsher just because of that. They're just like, well, we already know you two are, are criminals. You've done a yeah. lot of stuff. And I, and I think, yeah, chances. 100% that was the mentality. It was like, once a criminal, always a criminal. As soon as you were, you like, you went, you went skew, you were immediately, you were labeled as that for the rest of your life. We yeah. saw it in the beginning when Clyde was trying to go straight and he was working at the glass factory. The police just kept showing up and like taking him away from his job. They're like, you're, you're a bad kid. And he's like, no, I'm not. I haven't done anything. They're like, yeah. no, you're a bad kid. Yeah, that system was pretty broken, though, like you said. It just, there was no way to get out of it. No. It does get better after the events, but just during the time, it was just awful. Yeah. So, yeah, so Bosman was wounded in this, uh, but he did survive the ambush. Bonnie Clyde and the five inmates piled into a park sedan, drove away from the scene, and they were, they were scot-free. There was no fence that they had to deal with. All right. Um, Joe Croson was rushed to the hospital, uh, where he was visited by the head of the Texas Department of Corrections, Lee Simmons. So Simmons uh, was also the director of East Ham Prison. So he was the, the head honcho, and he was the one who was like, let's amp the brutality up in East Ham because they deserve it. Oh, that's so terrible. keep that in mind with, with Lee Simmons. You know, he, and, he, and he comes to visit Croson, who is you know, fatally wounded and has now contracted pneumonia on top of his wounds because everyone has pneumonia in this hospital. Yeah, they need to not... You know, then you did not let the cold in. Yeah, well, I mean, I've had pneumonia. It's not fun. I would no. not recommend... Zero out of ten would not recommend. It's not a great experience. And I had mm. the, the less severe pneumonia. So I can only imagine what, like, what these people were dealing with. On top of being shot in, like, in the neck, the chest, the head, and then getting pneumonia in all of those parts. It's, really, it's, it's not fun. No, that sounds miserable. Yeah. So Simmons goes to visit Croson, who is, is, is suffering. You know, he's, he's semi-conscious. He's like... He's yeah. I think that the point of the thing is he's suffering, and so Lee Simmons makes a promise to Croson that those who committed the prison break will be hunted down and killed. What a promise! Yeah, no, he was he was he was pissed that wow. these these old inmates of his dared to come into his prison and take people out of it. Hmm. And then Joe Croson died of his wounds eleven days later. That's sad. Yeah, so I'm gonna say that this prison break was the straw that broke the camel's back. Like, Bonnie and Clyde were always kind of celebrities, they were always kind of cool, they were always kind of like, they're sexy, they're scandalous, they're doing these things. This, this did not do them any favors. Publicity generated from this escape was overwhelmingly negative. Yeah. And they're like, they're breaking into our prisons and killing our guards. Like, he was just... He and they're was, breaking out more prisoners. Like, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Other criminals. Like, they're, they're going to flood the streets. Yeah. Like, they're killing people. And, like, and, and they're killing without mercy. And, like, yeah. this, even this one, we don't know who killed him. Was it Palmer? Was it Raymond? It was a, an inmate who was in the prison. Yeah. And, and Bonnie and Clyde, the sexy, scandalous, crime fantasy couple, they're, they're just fanning these flames. People are like, this nice to stop. Yeah. And now yeah. people are just dying. Yeah. And these were innocent people. So, yeah, it was just, people were like, oh, no, we're not so much Team Bonnie and Clyde anymore. Understandably. Yeah. It's, uh, it's reaching a point. It sure is. It's, it's getting to a head. Yes. So, Lee Simmons knows there's a problem going on. There's, you know, uh, there's, there's massive amounts of crime. His super brutality prison isn't cutting it. They're not reforming anybody. And he's like, I don't understand why my horrible, brutal punishments aren't fixing anybody. So at the time, a woman named Miriam Ma Ferguson. One more time. Miriam Ma Ferguson. Miriam Ma Ferguson, okay. Miriam Ma Ferguson was the governor of Texas. A woman was the governor of Texas, ladies and gentlemen. Wow. Yeah. The 30s, man. What a time. (laughs) She was, however, very politically corrupt. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, she embezzled a lot of funds for her husband, and she was notoriously very soft on crime. She was like, yeah, you know, they're just they're just outlaws. They're just out there. They're having fun. They're doing their thing. Like, I'm not I'm not mad about it. Yeah, I'm not here to bust chops. No, nah, I'm here. I'm here to embezzle funds. <laughs> And that's what she did. Uh, so Simmons goes up to Ma Ferguson and he's like, hey, a bunch of officers, are like, and they're like volunteer police, they're getting killed out there. And then the outlaws are like, they're, they're, they're running amok essentially. Like, there's no, like, we don't have the power to stop them. And she's like, eh. All right. Yeah. So Simmons is like, all right. Simmons asked for a favor. And I'm going to say it was actually more of a wager from what I can see. Like, Simmons had this he had an idea of this guy called Frank Hammer and he was like I want this former Texas Ranger captain Frank Hammer I want him to be appointed to as a special officer onto my team well the Texas like, Rangers are a serious business yeah and this was a former Texas Ranger a lot of Texas Rangers quit when Ma, Ma Ferguson got into power and the rest were let go so she's not very friendly with the Texas Rangers oh wow and so Simmons goes up to Ma and he's like hey remember that Texas Ranger you don't like I want him on my police force. All right. And and don't worry, he's not coming for you. He's not going to become like a you're not going to become the Batman of, of Texas. His only task will be to hunt Bonnie and Clyde. That's all he's going to do. And uh, Fr- Frank Hammer was a, is a he's a he's a he's a doozy. He's quite a he's quite a he's quite a lad. He was considered the most intrepid lawman in Texas. Wow, he what, claimed, a, what a title. Yeah, I mean, like, can you imagine that award ceremony? Like, congratulations, Frank Camper, you've been voted the most intrepid lawman of Texas. <laughs> I'm so proud of you. I'm <laughs> so proud of you. Here you go. So he claimed 53 killings. He was shot 17 times. But most importantly, he was tenacious. The only thing that was stopping him was this stupid jurisdiction law, where, you know, when you were in pursuit and an outlaw crossed state lines, you couldn't follow yeah, so that stupid law. That little law where, like, hey, there's a criminal that they've crossed into Arkansas. It's like, ah, shoot, guess that's Arkansas's problem now. Damn. So he was like, hey, so, like, we've got this ex-Texas Ranger. We want him on our special t- uh, special team, and we want you to grant him the ability to pursue across state lines, governor of Texas, because you can do that. Yes, oh, great governor of Texas, please. Great governor of Texas, Ma <laughs> Ferguson. And Ma Ferguson was like, all right. Yeah. Consider it done. And so it shall be. Yeah, she's like, I wave my wand. Did I say yes? You may cross state lines. I think it is fine. Wow. I feel like she was probably very surprised at her power that day. Yeah, no. Well, actually, she thought this was really funny. So Ferguson, Ma Ferguson, 100% thought that Hammer was going to fail. 100%. She was like, there is no feasible way that this man is going to catch Bonnie and Collide. There is no way. She's like, yeah, I'll let you have this. I'll, I'll give you wings, but it's not going to help you. You're not going to catch him. <laughs> that is that is precisely what happened. She was actually really hoping that he was going to make a mockery of, of himself on this manhunt. He was going to blow all this, this steam and he's going to blow all these whistles and he was going to, you know, expend all these resources and it was going to come to nothing. So and that then she, she can be like, ha ha, the Texas Rangers, look how stupid. Yes. No, you, wow. read my, you read my mind. She wanted to publicly discredit him. She wanted to look at the Texas Rangers going, you all quit and like got fired by me because you're not necessary and yeah. you were the best of the best and I'm going to make a, a public mockery of you. 
Wow. She so she also, tried to set them up to fail. Pretty much. She also really hoped that he would be killed in a shootout with Bonnie and Clyde. What so a that's face. why I Yeah, so that's why I consider this more of a wager than a favor, because it wasn't like she was like, Yes, you need to stop Bonnie and Clyde. They're terrorizing Texas. It was like, ha, this will be great. I can make fun of the Rangers. Wow. That's what a butt face. What a true, true butt face. Yeah. February 10th, 1934, Frank Hammer was officially in. You know, he had he had Ma Ferguson's seal of approval. He was he was in Lee Simmons. He was in his program. He was like, all right, your only job, go get Bonnie and Clyde. He was like, aye, aye, Captain. Yeah. Say so less. he and yeah, say yes, yeah, say less. He's like, sure, I, I've been looking for something to do. So he enlists an old ranger pal of his, Manny Galt, for assistance. The two of them are like bros. They're like they would be rangers, like live die rangers, like we're buds. Yeah. And pretty much the manhunt began immediately. All right. Yeah. Meanwhile, Bonnie and Clyde were celebrating. The Whoa. gang was back together. Woohoo! <laughs> got the band back together. Got the, they got Ray Hamilton. We got this other guy, Joe Palmer. Don't really know who he is. And then there's this kid, Henry Methvin. He's here now. Like, we got some boys. Yeah, we got some. The boys are back in town. Let's do it. Yeah. We got, we got boys. We got things to do. We've got the bank robber back. He's here. Then they fulfilled like their we, mission. We have loved that guy. They did the prison break. And it's even funnier because Ray Hamilton was the one who was like, I don't really want to go do a prison break at East Ham. And then he ends up being the one that they prison break from East Ham. So the irony is is not lost on me. <laughs> he probably was like, he got rescued. And he was probably like, ooh, I, ooh. Yeah. And Clyde's probably going to hold that over me for a while. <laughs> yeah. Funny. So Joe Palmer and Henry Methrin are officially in. Ray Hamilton's back in it, boys. He's escaped his 266 years. And they were gung-ho to get started. They're like, yeah, let's let's do it. Let's do the Barrel Gang shit. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure yeah. after what they were doing all day, they're like, I, yeah, tell me tell me what to do. Where to yeah. go. That, they were like, we're out of the ham. We're into the frying pan. Let's go. <laughs> and the first thing they did was rob the National Guard Armory in Texas and steal weapons. Because that's just what you do. <laughs> wow. All right. Go big or go yeah. home, right? Yeah. They did that February 19th, 1934. All right. So... Immediately after this, things are already starting to get tense, and then people are remembering, like, oh, yeah, this is kind of why we didn't get along in the first place. Mm -hmm. Ooh. So the gang hits a bank in Lancaster, Texas, and they got a little into a, a bit of a fight on how to split the cut. So it was a successful bank robbery. They got their bank robber back. He's like, we're going to do it this way, we're going to do it this way, and we're going to do it this way. And they're like, done. Easy in, easy out. Get the money and run. Yeah. And then it came time to split the cut. Yeah. So Hamilton, Ray Hamilton, he brought in his new girlfriend as, like, the new Blanche kind of character. Yeah. Just like, you know, the arm candy on the arm. And it was a woman named Mary O'Dare, who was married to another outlaw called Jean O'Dare. But he was in prison for life. So she was like, meh. Yeah. Meh. Am I supposed to sit here and be single? Yeah. She was like, well, look, if Bonnie could do it, I could do it too. That's true. Just saying. Yeah. Like, like, there is no shame at all in this thing. But Clyde didn't like her. At all. He was like, I do not like Mary O'Dare. Bonnie didn't like her either. So here came the, the he, he brought Ray Hamilton, he brought in this woman, and he's like, yeah, let's just pretend she's like Blanche. And Bonnie and Clyde were like, she's not like Blanche. No. Like, not even close. No. Like, get this, get this great value Blanche out of here. Yeah. She's not even wearing pants. Yeah, what? Okay, yeah, <laughs> no. She's not even wearing pants. Yeah, like, and then I'm sure Blanche. she wants her cut, and they're like, we don't even want you here. She, no, she, he, I gave her a cut. She wanted a full cut. She wanted a per like the same percentage that all of the rest of the gang was getting. 
and Ray Hamilton was backing her up. Was like, yeah, she's part of the gang. Give her her cut. And Clyde's like, no. She, we don't even want she, her here. We don't like her. Yeah. Well, she, she didn't even do anything. Yeah, she's like she's 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 just loud. She's not like Bonnie. She's not fun. She's not witty. She's she's just uh, she's just annoying. Yeah. She's not getting she's getting money. She's just not getting like a full cut. So request denied. Sorry, Mary O'Dare. Like yeah. not in the not in the gang. So Ray Hamilton was like, "Well, fuck you guys," and he left. All He's right. like, "It's it's it's my way or the highway," and they were like, "All right, see ya." Yeah. Yeah. Have fun in Michigan. <laughs> Yeah, and at the, from what I can tell, this was also like the end of the friendship too. Uh, they Ray, Ray Hamilton, he was like, "I'm not coming back to this. You guys are disrespecting me. I'll see you on the other side. Have fun robbing banks without me. I'm gonna go take my new girlfriend, Mary O'Dare. We're gonna go do things over there." Yeah. Well, Joe Palmer was friend, more friends with Ray Hamilton than he was with Clyde and Bonnie. Like, yeah, he felt like, oh, they they got me out, but I'm friends with Ray Hamilton, so this is kind of awkward. Yeah, that is an awkward position. And he also, after spending a couple more weeks with Clyde, was like, oh, I get it. I get why, why Ray doesn't like this. Mm-hmm. So, shortly after that, Joe Palmer also left the gang. And, you know, and he, went, he actually went back and joined Ray. He found Ray a little bit later and he was like, yeah, like, I, you know, like, it was nothing against Clyde. They just, their styles of, of outlaw just weren't compatible. Gotcha. So the gang was back down to three. It was Bonnie Clyde and this kid called Henry. They got a new DW. They got a new DW. Clyde did not mind, because three worked just fine. And that's where we're ending part two. All right. All right, all right. All right, all right. So that's part two of Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> oh, that's the bloody history. We got through the bloody history, and we're getting into what I like to call Trail's End. It's it all comes the all comes to a head. Yeah, no, those were definitely some bloody years for the couple and uh, their companions. But yeah, uh, I think I think out of all of it, I, I just feel bad for Buck and Blanche because they they never wanted to be in the gang. They were no. there to stop Clyde from basically to like talk him out of it, and then they just got roped into it, and it just beat them to death. Yeah, no wrong place, wrong time, you know, wrong people, and. They got caught up in a, in a whirlwind so fast. I mean, things seemed like they were just happening, like, you know, day by day, minute by minute, things were just, like, continuously mm-hmm. just, like, stacking up, and they did not have much time. Like, that that small, like, few weeks there where you're like, it's a blur between this and this, and all of a sudden now it's September. It's like, that was, like, the most, I think, downtime, quote-unquote, that they ended up really having. But even mm-hmm. that, it sounds like they were really scrounging this entire time to just stay afloat. Yeah, and I think that's the thing to remember with Bonnie and Clyde. They were never big-time criminals. Yeah. From the beginning all the way up to the very end, they were small-time crooks. They hit gas stations. They hit funeral parlors. They hit uh, grocery stores. They hit one or two banks. But they never, like, got out with a lot of money. Yeah, they were petty criminals, like you said, comparatively. Yeah, Yeah, and the only reason that Bonnie and Clyde really stood out is because of Bonnie. Because there was a sexy woman in the gang who was an equal. Yeah. And that is the only reason why Bonnie and Clyde were given any attention, really. Because if Bonnie was a man, and it was just, you know, two bros on the road, you know, doing spinks, they, they wouldn't have even made the front the front cover. No, not at all. But, yeah, you're right about that, actually. Yeah. So, I think that that's the, the issue, well, not the issue with Bonnie and Clyde, but that's really what happened with Bonnie and Clyde. They got sensationalized because of who they were, not because of what they did. Yeah. And people just sort of assumed, well, if we're talking about them, they must have done something big. And they never did. Yeah, I they mean, were always small time. 
that was my opinion even coming into this was I told you I knew nothing about them and I'm like yeah, yeah. I, just, I just know the name you know that they are criminals and that's it and you assume that there is a great story behind the name because there is a name why else mm-hmm. would people be talking about it and it's kind of crazy like you said it's it's a lot of tomfoolery honestly of just yeah shenanigans it's ridiculous I kind of like the tomfoolery better I think if it was like a perfectly flawless like cold cut calculated like bank robbery operation it would have been like eh, and then they robbed a bank and it was successful yeah. and then they that's robbed exactly a bank what i thought it, it would successful. be like you said it's cut and dry yeah. that's that's the narrative it should have been but having it be and this unexpected tale is yeah and it's better. yeah yeah it, it really is like they were just people and they were desperate people and from beginning to end they were desperate people and they made decisions they made split second decisions and they got really lucky and they either really hurt people they really hurt themselves or they got out with yeah. nobody getting hurt and it really was it was a coin toss every single time so yeah they're 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 interesting and i'm kind of i'm glad that i can I tell you guys about this because they are i've been staring at these for them for so long uh <laughs> and I'm, I'm glad that we're like we're, we're halfway through part two is done we'll get into part three and i can finally put these two to bed because yeah part three is just as much a doozy as the other two i'm excited to get into it and uh yeah, I think I think our brains are going to be interesting during the next one, so I'm excited to see how it goes. <laughs> yes, for those at home, we're recording these all in tandem, so the slap happiness is beginning. <laughs> You're gonna, yeah, this, you never really get to see us past this point, so it's it's beyond the point of no return. We're we're yeah. in it to win it. We're Welcome here. to late night spookery, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, until next time, then stay spooky. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. I, was, I paused for a minute because I really, my brain was like, uh-huh, yes, line, please. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it again.